there, welcome to Blockhead, the podcast where cartoonists talk comics and just about everything else. My name is Jeff Grogan, and I'll be your host for the next hour or so in a series of conversations with comics creators about their lives, their work, and comics. So sit back and enjoy. to Blockhead. It has, uh, it's been quite a while, almost a year since our last episode. We had one episode at the beginning of uh, 2023, and now we've got one episode at the end. So, so thanks for checking in uh, and, and downloading this wherever you are. It's not, it was not intentional that uh, I would take such an extended break from the podcast, but uh, life happens, and a bunch of stuff happened last year. Um, that was, uh, it derailed my progress or, or my intentions for this. It was hard enough just to, to get work out last year, uh, given some of the things that were going on. And, um, I mean, well, you know, I'll be frank. I mean, we, the first thing that happened was we lost our, uh, beloved dog, Zuccaro, who you may have actually heard barking or uh, somewhere along the line. You might have heard me talk about her somewhere early on in the, in the podcast. And she was very near and dear to us. And, uh, and she, 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 we lost her. Um, she was 16 and, uh, it, it was difficult. It was, she was very sick. So that was, that was one thing. And then, um, some, not too long on the heels of that afterwards, my sister, um, became very ill and uh, over an extended period of time uh, she also succumbed and um, so it was it made for a very difficult few months and uh, difficult to sort of recover from uh, as a matter of fact you know it's interesting um, I had visited my aunt not not too long before she had all these letters that as kids we wrote to her and she had a whole pile of my sisters as well as mine and my brothers I mean we're talking about several years worth of letters and uh, my sister's letters uh, my sister's letter letters were wonderful I mean they, they were written by a child but they were filled with details that mine I was less likely to um, talk about others in my letters and more likely to talk about you know football games and things like that my sister, on the other hand, was an observer of our lives and talked about all of us in her letters, and they were wonderful. So I, I uh, copied all, photographed all of her letters. And so while she was in the hospital, she didn't have a chance to get those letters from my aunt before she took ill, and uh, I, I recorded, narrated all of her letters, really, for her. Uh, she was in a coma for a period of time, and... Um, her husband played the letters to her while she was sleeping, you know. It was it was a project that was um, really important to me and still really important to me. Uh, whether they reached her, I hope they did, and reminded her of uh, her life, her childhood, as it were. Um, well, anyway, uh, it took took some time, and, uh, and it was a... a, a an effort well worth doing and uh who knows i might do something with with them later on but 
um, that was those were the two biggies, and then and there was something else that that happened too, and um, it just sort of derailed my whole trajectory in regard to uh, this podcast. So, hope you don't mind me sharing that with you. Um, I don't usually get too personal, but on the other hand, if you've listened to listened to enough of these conversations, you know that you pretty much know a lot about me, as it were. So uh, you might as well know the other stuff too. So. Um, Anyway, uh, the occasion of this, what inspired this particular podcast was, was actually a moment of, of um, great self-doubt uh, that resulted in a, a post that I, I put up on Instagram, as one is wont to do. Uh, and you know, there were some responses to it. And one of the responses came from, from Pat Sandy, who, uh, if you've listened to the show before, you know, Pat is one of my favorite people and he's, he's certainly, you know, a, one of my favorite guests. He's the e- easiest guy in the world to talk to and the nicest guy. And, uh, and he does a great comic strip called, um, next door neighbors, which you can find on go comics. And he's got a new book coming out and it's called, um, block party. <laughs> funnily enough, right? Uh, it's called Block Party, and it's the second collection of Next Door Neighbors. And uh, what you can find, by the way, on Amazon, all you got to do is search for Next Door Neighbors by Pat Sandy, and it'll come up. And uh, it's, a, it's a great collection of comics, and especially it's in the style of uh, those old paperback collections of comics that we used to get at the drugstore or whatnot when we were growing up back in the day um, when you could still get, you know, like 75 cent. I'm not even sure. Let me, I'd have to look at what the cost was. 50 cent paperbacks? I think it was like 50 cents. They were really, you know, cheap, cheaply printed, uh, you know, little, what were they, like four by six books? And uh, these are bigger than that because you can't, it's hard to print four by six books anymore, but they're, they're great collections. Anyway, uh, we'll talk a lot about, about that book in the upcoming episode here. But it's a great book, and I highly recommend it. I've read it. I bought it. I loved it. His first book's great, too. So uh, I, I recommend them to everybody. They're laugh-out-loud funny. So uh, that being said, Pat responded to my post, and we had a dialogue, and it just seemed like the right time, you know, with his book coming out and that discussion there, that it might be good for it to sort of spill over into the podcast. So uh, the podcast today is with my very special guest, great friend of the show, Pat Sandy, a great cartoonist who is here uh, to talk about his new book and to talk about some other things that are cartoon-oriented and not so much cartoon-oriented. We touch on a lot of things, uh, two boomers talking to each other. And I know to some of you that's an immediate turnoff, but I think it's not so specific that, that it would be a... Uh, a snore fest, but, <laughs> um, but no, I think it's a, it's, it's a really good conversation and, uh, it's, it's about looking at a lot of things and, uh, trying to navigate a world where attention spans are, are split up among so many things and trying to be a cartoonist in the middle of all that. So why don't we just, uh, move forward and you can get right to the show and listen to myself and Pat Sandy in conversation, talking about his brand new book, Block Party, featuring the cast of Next Door Neighbors from Go Comics. I'll see you at the end. Hey, Pat Sandy, welcome to Blockhead. Thank you very much, Jeff. I'm glad to be here. 
Yeah, it's great, man. It's great to talk to you again, and uh, I've been, I've awesome. missed you, man. It's it's uh, missed you, my friend. It has been a while, and you've kind of been on hiatus, I would think, right? Yeah, for the from from this, I have been for a whole pile of reasons. Um, it's been it's been kind of a tough year uh, yeah. for a number of things, and um, you know, uh, it it's well, we'll go into it later, but you know, for the moment. Let's talk about your new book, man. You oh got a my, you got yeah. a brand new book. It's called Block Party, and I believe it's the second collection of your oh, yeah. fabulous strip, Next Door Neighbors, which uh, I'm so happy to see. Oh, you were too kind, my friend. Yes, it is the second collection. Took me forever to kind of get it together. I have uh, a gentleman that I work with, a, a buddy John Cardinal, that does the kind of the hard work and um, just picking the strips and stuff was a little bit tough. I knew I was going to lean in on the pandemic year though. So that, that kind of takes up the bulk of the book. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of cool to go back and and read these strips again. Um, because I do, I follow you on a regular basis. Right. So, you know, I see your stuff all the time. Um, and it's, uh, you know, forever, it's been one of my favorite comics. It's always, thank you so much. I appreciate uh, that. You know, not hyperbole either. It's one that I, I never want to miss. And uh, oh, so, awesome. you. you know, it's it's with, well, one of the great things about it is how consistent it is. You know, it's yeah. consistently funny. And, uh, and the, you know, it's archetypal kinds of situations. You know, the next, sure. it's called Next Door Neighbors. So it's about, you know, people in a neighborhood and all. But it's also, it's just darn funny. And it's, it's also, uh, rela- I can relate to it because I have cats. <laughs> Well, there you go. Well, yeah, that's the Vera thing for sure. I haven't, you know, it's really weird. Over the last year, the cats have not featured as prominently in Vera's world, but uh, that, that'll change. You know? Yeah, I'm sure they'll be, you know, they'll find their way back in. It's right. If people haven't seen it, and I don't know who wouldn't have seen it because it's all over online and, and uh, on Go Comics. Um, the cats are like, uh, they, they're kind of very relaxed. About <laughs> 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 that's one they, way of putting they are. it. Well, they're they're um, I guess you know originally the whole concept, and I think I'd mentioned this a while back when I was on was um, I always say it was sort of originally inspired by my mom, who was in a, in a nicest way a cat lady, but she uh-huh. certainly wasn't Vera. She you know Vera's got I think at one time I said there was like thirty three cats in the house or something <laughs> like that. Like and um. I, I kind of gave up with the whole numerical thing with it. And just, I think anybody who's followed the strip for a while assumes that there's a ton of cats in the house. And then yes. I zero in. Yeah. And I zero in on the one cat Oscar simply to have a foil, so to speak. Yeah. And, um, and I've kind of moved on too for like the birds. She's, my mom was also about bird feeders and stuff like that. So I kind uh-huh. of expanded it a little bit. But, well, you know, yeah. I was going to say that's, I mean, our life here is very, very much around the pets and cats oh, yeah. and birds play a big role. And uh, we live in a rural environment. So, uh, you know, cats have always been a big part. But um, the interesting thing, actually, this year they got we, our, our cats, our animals are all getting kind of old. In the beginning of the oh, year, yeah. we lost one of our dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she passed away and which was pretty, was pretty, sad, yeah. yeah, it was pretty devastating. And then, um, cause she was still, you know, she was only 16 and, and she was, what but it was, was it again? What, uh, was she it? was an Aussie shepherd. Okay. And, okay. Yeah. She was beautiful. Her name was Zuccaro, oh. uh, and oh, yeah, which yeah. translates to sugar. Anyway, she, she was 
beautiful dog and we were broken hearted. But uh, we've always had cats and we were kind of down to after we've gone through any number of cats over the years and yeah. we we're kind of down to like, I think at, at one point we we're just down to the to two and all of a sudden these strays start showing up and it's in the middle of the winter and they're freezing and you know starving and you know both deb and i are like oh my gosh you know these cats are starving so you know we start feeding them and before you know it you know all hell's broken loose and um eventually you know one of them sort of who was more fragile than others moved in um and we wanted to take care of him because he was uh, um we called him mittens because he's got four white paws he's a black cat with four fabulous nice so yeah. we, we wanted to take, he moved into the porch and we, we were feeding him on a regular basis, taking care of him. And it, uh, apparently one day he crawled up into one of the wheel wells of, of our car. That's the best I can figure anyway. And as we were pulling out uh, of the driveway and heading to, it was in the middle of the summer, heading to get some pizza or something, we heard a clunk, clunk. And it turns out oh. I ran over him. And, oh, oh, oh my god so you know we went running through the woods chasing to find him found him long story short we got him you know after uh you know taking him to um cornell uh veterinary school which is about right. two hours away from here uh in a hurried you know i mean he's like oh crazy. i can imagine yeah we, we he's all fixed up now um That's he'll awesome. always he's all fixed up and he he moved in and became part of the family and I, we love him to death but boy is he a nutty cat um <laughs> he's a he earned his stripes though you know yeah, he did he did yeah. and then and then because we had done that a bunch of other cats started moving in and so you know eventually we one of these cats who trusted us we used to call her little miss she she brought along uh, uh she she uh, little miss didn't live with us well basically she didn't live with us she she lived someplace else but um at one point or another she had she had gotten pregnant had babies she brought two of the babies to us and um so those two babies ended up because they were so tiny and whatnot they ended up moving in so we ended up getting three new cats uh, it's a long story. We anyway, got, a new, got a whole family there. We got a whole new family here now. It's, yeah. it's just, uh, crazy. But anyway, that's um, neither here nor there because we're t- we're supposed to be talking about well, your strip. And I, I think again, though, we talk uh, pets really, really. I think that's one of the. I like to think that the Vera character, if there's any relatability at all, because she is kind of out there. Mm-hmm. is her love of animals in general. So I, I I try to kind of get that across just by the fact that she houses so many of them. Oh, yeah. The birds and so on. You know, the funny thing is, too, I, I one of the themes that I bring into the strip, and sometimes it comes out of left field, but um, these cats despise the neighbor's dog. The neighbor's, <laughs> dog the neighbor's dog is a Bashan Frise, which is what we've had over the years. And so it's my way of taking shots at my dogs who are as fruity as they say. I mean, we talk about, you know, snarky little Bichons and the yappy and all that. And that's kind of what they're about. And we're only down to one left. And he is as aged as can be. I mean, this dog is probably 16 mm-hmm. and he basically sleeps all day, you know. Yeah, sure. But I love him to death. I mean, as you're like we're talking, I mean, these pets just dominate our lives. And I, they're to me, they're human, you know. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, when when you become a pet person, that's just you know that's oh, what. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they are very much part of the family. Oh my God, yeah. So and again, they feature a little bit. You know, it's funny. I was looking at some old strips when I was putting this book together, mm-hmm. and there are there was a sequence. I don't know. I'm not even sure if it's in this book, but there was a sequence that the the Deweys themselves do have a cat. His name is Buster. And I, ha- I I should probably bring him back. Every so often, this this cat will be in the strip. But I mean, it's rare. But I, there was a huge sequence back in probably about three or four years ago where, you know, Claire was helping Vera out with something and she conned her into taking one of the cats. Uh-huh. And I might have rerun it. I do reruns on the weekend, but it, that might have been where it showed up. And uh, so they do have a cat. So long story short, I'm going to have to feature this cat more often. So yeah, we don't see that cat very. I'm I'm actually I just finished the book actually the other day, and um I don't recall that cat being there. It's I have a to go back and... to that time period. Though. Yeah, so. it might be in the first book. I don't remember. Um, I'll yeah, have to go yeah, back yeah. and check that out again. But I wouldn't be surprised, um, given that we know as much as we know about the Deweys. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they are the proverbial. Well, I don't know if I can say they're the, the neighbors from hell because I actually quite like them. They're they're quite well. Lovely. Yeah, they are the neighbors from hell. They really are. But they started out that way. I think over the years. God, I'm, this is my. Let's see. I go into twenty four. It'll be the eighth year I've been doing this. Wow. Eight oh years. God. Yeah. Yeah. It uh, started in sixteen. Mm-hmm. And. You know, in the first couple of years of the strip are not my favorite simply because you're you're trying to get your legs, you know, sure. and then you start to hit a stride. And that's why those books are kind of collated or curated the way they are, because mm-hmm. some of it, the early stuff is it's not that I'm not particularly you know happy with it one way or the other. But I think it really once it gets going and that's probably around 2017 or so, you know, I'm pretty happy with it at that point. Well, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, it takes a while, you know, to settle into that pattern, yeah. to that rhythm, you know, of... Right, I was really going, Norm was almost too easy to write to, and it was a little bit getting tiring with the same type of jokes, the beer and all that kind of business. So I had to branch out and try to establish a little bit of of his humanity, if that's even the right word, and that or his relatability so for example i think in this book there is a sequence where myra who is his new boss tries to rebuild him you know and tries yes. to you know alter his general you know lazy state and she <laughs> does she doesn't really succeed but they do change him it's kind of funny because i almost was going in a i almost could have taken it for another two months with that storyline but oh, absolutely. they did break him to a certain extent i think at the end of that sequence uh, Jan says something to the effect of, you know, what what happened to you? And he's like, I don't know. You know, he's just like flipping <laughs> out. He's got real neat hair and everything, you know. So, oh my but God. it's he really. I think what has happened over the years is that the characters have taken on probably a softer edge, if mm-hmm. there's if that's the term, you know. Well, I think you know. I mean, painting with broad strokes initially, but if you're going to last for any length of time, right? You, you know, the characters yeah. have to take on some dimensionality. Oh. And, oh yeah you know you know i think that's the other thing too i tend to there's several themes to norm that also help me kind of i don't want to use the word milk it but i mean obviously the halloween sequences are always big i just got done with a real long one mm-hmm. and they um you know he he is the guy that always has to have attention and always has okay. to 
do the over the top stuff and we yep. everybody somebody like this and i think that's his that's partly his humanity he uh, using halloween as an example which is one of my favorite holidays he loves the holiday yeah. so one way or the other he has to experience it so this past october i had him working at a haunted house and and part of it too is really i've always loved haunted houses i don't go to too many of them they're awfully pricey but you know i mean he always wanted to be part of one and i've always thought it was intriguing so i kind of boned up on it a little bit and it's an interesting field actually you know, <laughs> this every year and they kind of join and a lot of times it's probably volunteer or there's a little bit of money involved but it's got a thespian undertone to it sure it does. yeah so, yeah i mean it's pretty fascinating i've got a buddy who um who I know, who's also a cartoonist, uh, and he he's been he's like a diehard Halloween guy, and he's been yeah. doing it for like I don't know, man, I think it's been over thirty years he's been doing this wow. Halloween thing, and um, he lives in upstate New York, and and it's just like it's you can tell it's a, an absolute passion for him. I mean, he'll devote oh, yeah. so much time to it every year. And he talks about it, you know, um, right. months in advance because he's planning out something. And every year he tries to plan out something new. He'll use maybe he'll recycle a couple of elements. But for him, yeah. it's all about how do I reinvent this and come up with something that's going to engage the, the you know, trick yeah, or treat. The way you say that, there's an interesting parallel. We, we talk about how you keep a strip going after a while. How do you reinvent that storyline? Yeah. And it's tough. And I think that really is a, a really fascinating parallel to what I'm what I try to do, not every Halloween, but most of them. Sure. Find out another way for Norm to to, you know, to enjoy the holiday once again at somebody's expense and otherwise. And, well, you, you know, like, I had, well, I had a couple of years ago, I had him working at Spirit Halloween, for example, that type of mm -hmm. thing. So. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think when you have I mean, part of part of what makes a select uh, uh, a successful strip. Right. Is is well, one engaging with the holidays. Right. That's that's like yeah. a standard kind of trope. And well, um, yeah. it's to be expected when you're, you know, doing a daily strip and you're trying to connect to people's lives. That just makes sense. Right. So oh, yeah. um, all, all the great strips have, have always made a point to connect uh, with, you know, in a timely way. OK, so but the, the thing is. And you kind of have to, especially when you have a character like Norm, who is so dedicated to it and loves yeah. it so much that you, you kind of have to keep it fresh every year. And so, you know, you think about Schultz and, and baseball games, you know, how did he right. keep, you know, Charlie Brown on the mound for 50 years, you know, um, and come up with something new every time. But somehow oh, he Schultz was a master at it. I mean, yeah, that's a good example is the baseball stuff. He. I would have to say, I, I would bet out of the entire run of Peanuts, there's at least three straight years of baseball material. Oh, if you were yeah. to collate it out. Yeah. You know, and he did it differently. Every oh, single yeah. time he got into it, there was some different take. You, you just think about it for a minute. Um, and not to get away from, from no. your strip, but to think about this, this um, you know, this approach. Um, you know, how many times do we see Lucy standing out in the outfield? The strip begins with Lucy standing in the outfield. And I mean, how many times was that used? And every time it's different, you know, right. uh, which is really amazing. I mean, th that trope is used over and over and over again. And yet, you know, um, and we expect to see it. We want to see it. And somehow or another, he finds a different way of, you know, um, telling that story every single time, which is oh, amazing. Yeah. Well, pulled, pulled literally from 
I don't know, maybe not literally, but I mean, a lot of that stuff paralleled contemporary stories going on in sports at the time or in baseball. Yes. And then there was, you know, he even kind of touched on the, the whole Joe Schlobotnik thing with yeah. the baseball card. And he, you know, he would go him and Linus. I think there was one sequence where they were actually at some kind of a show and talking about the Schlobotnik and all this <laughs> kind of thing. And it was just fascinating. I, at one time he had, I think Snoopy was the manager or something or the best shortstop on the team. Oh, or, yeah. 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 Yep. So real mm-hmm. in the directions he took. And I think Linus, I believe Linus was a manager at one point or something, and they started to really win. <laughs> you know? Oh my God! Yeah, there were there were some great times when when uh, Charlie Brown was on the bench or something like that. And yeah, right. Win. And then eventually, though, everybody you know kind of acquiesced. Charlie Brown has to come back because otherwise, it's not our baseball team. Right. It's, it, that whole bit where Charlie Brown would have to come back, either he had you know pitcher's elbow or something mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. And when he would come back, it would be the same old, same old. I mean, it was just yeah. a fascinating thing because trope it may be, it was a very comfortable trope to come back to. Oh, yeah, so absolutely. We're very used to that, you know. Sure. Well, and I think that's part of the nature of a comic, a daily comic strip, right? Is that you right. do something that that is cyclical, that becomes familiar to its to the audience. So if the audience checks out for a week, you know, for whatever reason, they can come right. back and recognize what's going on. And I guess that's part of what we expect, you know, out of a daily comic strip is that it's a stable world in that sense. The kids in Charlie Brown are never going to grow up and they're oh, always, right. you know, and so that world, those relationships that are s- cemented so early are never, they may vary, right? But they're not going to evolve to any great degree. Um, no. You know, take left turns. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Sure. Sure. They do. Absolutely. But they always kind of those turns never take them too far away from the center of who or what the situation is or who they are, which is kind of, um, you know, that's a hard thing to do. (laughs) Well, it is. Right. There's there's certain, you know, I call them pivot points where you have to kind of get it back to the day to day. And but at the end of at the end of that the characters are exactly the same as they always are. I think that's the magic of it, particularly with Schultz in that, mm-hmm. you know, he could, t- some of those storylines went for two months in yeah. the 60s. I mean, they would really go on like all summer long and stuff. And uh, they were really fascinating. I remember there was another one in particular, where I think they were trying to trade Snoopy or something like this. It was sure. Really I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And it I was really remember. a fascinating sequence. The kid was killer that they traded for. But he, yes. I think he wanted his dog back or something. He wanted his pet dog back. <laughs> I don't remember how it resolved itself, but I do remember the sequence. And uh, yeah. it's fascinating to think about, um, well, you know, yeah. how he he interjected something unexpected into a scenario that we had come to, you know, treat as, uh, as very familiar, if not oh, almost sure. cliche. You well, know? that's what I love. You know, you know, we talked at one time about Doonesbury, which did sort of something very similar with these long arc. Doonesbury arcs would go on for two years. But, yeah. you know, I think that was the thing that fascinated me as a kid with Peanuts is that it really wasn't, at the end of the day, a gag-a-day type of, of a strip. It was very narrative-oriented. Yeah. And yeah. these things would go on for quite a while. I find it, the stuff in the 60s when he was really working that end of the field there was 
it's probably my favorite peanut stuff bro. oh yeah me too i, th- I think the, the mid to late 50s through the through about 1969 yep. is really just you know i mean i don't think comic strips get any better than that and oh i mean I, we're on the same page i mean we've yeah. talked about this i think that was the pinnacle in my opinion yeah. really yeah me too he was the right guy in the right time in the right medium and that's that's a real oh, yeah. you know synchronicity kind of you know it, it's just it, he had the devotion and the the material and the attitude and the you know all of that and stuff it was, and it was very much i would say too and it takes a real specific individual to want to hole up in a studio and obsess mm-hmm. about the details of whatever property you're working on Oh yeah. And you know, some of them become like mega operations and there's like entire creative staffs and stuff, but Schultz really wasn't, wasn't even close to being wired like that. And I always admired that. Yeah, me too. I mean, it was always a work. This is one moment where in, you know, it's clear that you're talking about a singular vision and, you know, a singular vision and, and the, you know the the stubbornness of the artist <laughs> you know? oh in this case for sure yeah, yeah. absolutely he but, didn't you know, touching it. no he didn't and i'm glad that nobody ever really did um yeah. as time went on the strip became uh went in its different pathways and became i think well for me more eccentric um you know yeah. and and not quite as universal not quite as as I don't want to say quite as successful. Um, it's just that the humor went in a variety of different directions that, that were more, I guess, um, eccentric, I guess, and a little specific. Yeah. I think that, yeah, by the time he got to prob, I would say that was probably late seventies, early eighties. And it was very, I don't think the sequences were as long. I could be wrong, but I think they were a little bit shorter. I think he had to acquiesce to, physical realities he had to change the structure of the strip and it went yeah. into three panel and zip the panel yeah. And all this. yeah yeah so i don't know i think you know 50 years worth of a strip though and anybody that's been down that road yeah. any cartoonist has done that amount of work i can i think of funky winker being and a few others you have to oh, literally yeah. have to find new avenues and sometimes it's not that easy yeah and i i agree and you know um he had to find new ways of telling similar yeah. stories and he had to rein, reinvest in the characters so that the characters yeah. continue to grow and and i think he you know i mean for gosh sakes you know 50 years is on an enormous undertaking and oh uh, that's incredible that's you know and i think it's the kind of stuff where if you don't laugh out loud first at first the way you know the 50s and 60s really kind of had that I- immediate impact um oh as well as the, you know, resonated. Um, I think if you go back and, and read some of the stuff a second time or a third time, uh, the later stuff, um, you know, I think that's when it really starts to connect. Uh, the first time around it's, you know, you're, you're noticing the differences with, sure. you know, the 80 stuff versus the 60 stuff. And at first it might be a little off-putting, but then you come back to it and, and you find, wow, this is, you know, this is great, but it's, it's great in a different way. I think it's, yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. I think it's, it's in a way it's kind of, by the time you get to the eighties and nineties with them, it was for me, and I'm sure you're similar. It was sort of like, yeah, it's different. And it's maybe it's not the universally amazingly original stuff that it was in the sixties, but Mm -hmm. it's still 
it's still sparky, right? So you, oh, yeah. you read it and I felt very comfortable with it. You know, an interesting analogy to that, and we're both Beatle fans, I would assume. Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, they got this, uh, they put out, suppose, not to digress here, but they put out their so-called last record. And the, the yes, buzz no. all over social media was working it over and it's not the Beatle and it's not the, and you know, all yeah. detail aside, it's not Strawberry Fields forever, but by God, I was glad to hear from him. I got to you know? tell you, man, I was get, it's so funny. I was thinking about this conversation earlier in the week, and I was going to ask you <laughs> what yeah. you thought of now and then. And I, I don't know. I, you know. It's not revelatory. And you could right. tell Paul really wanted to get a lot of things out of, the, out of his system on this song. Yeah. And something's telling me it might not even be the last because there's still some stuff yeah. deep in the vaults there. But I was very... It, but God, this might be, this is sadly a very boomer thing to say, but I'm going to say it. I was very glad that they were still in there slugging away and did something. Yeah. And it was, the video is fantastic, actually. I know. know? I love the video. The video is yeah, crazy, yeah. you know, but yeah. it's so, it's, it's, what's great is it's not maudlin, you know, that video no, could have been a moment for, you know, great, great gravity and, you know, John's yeah. gone, George is gone and blah, blah, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But instead okay. they took the, as, as the phrase goes, they took the piss out of it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I think it was funny deliberately, you know, uh, a little bit weird to see John dancing around in the recording studio, right. but I thought it was great. And, uh, oh, yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, and actually, the more I hear the song, and I got to tell you, the song, once it gets stuck in your head, like any great Beatles song, exactly. it's stuck in your head. Right. And, yeah. and I think, you know, when I, the first minute I heard it, I said, Paul did, and you know, Paul controlled it, you know, and Paul did oh, sure. absolutely the right thing with that piece of music. Um, I mean, he knew what to cut out. He knew what to put in. And uh, I'll tell you, um, that guitar solo, or not the guitar solo so much, it was like the riffs in the guitar, not the solo. Yeah, the slide the, thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but the stuff that's in between is so very Paul, really doing George and doing Paul. Oh, yeah. And, and it and it really resonates, you know. It it it's like you hear it and you go, "Wow, this sound that sounds really good." I mean, they did a well, really think of the legacy that they have to, or he he has to. But I mean, think of the legacy that all of them, including their estates, mm -hmm. have to tussle with all the time. Sure, that's a big deal. And yeah. you know, so I mean, I've heard the song, but I'm sure you'd heard it in the sure. past. That and all that simon had heard it over the years we knew all the stuff on the anthology that you know it was mm -hmm. bad quality yep. so i was looking forward to them rolling this out and i guess that's where i saw the tie-in with the schultz thing simply because i'm willing uh, contrary to what i see online with all these people griping about it i'm willing to accept what they gave us i do that with any artist i'll be honest with you whether it's a cartoonist musician whoever uh, you know another band that gets this type of of static all the time on new albums is wilco if you're familiar uh -huh. with them and yeah. the fans absolutely either hate or love whatever they're making i don't like operate like that as i consume artists who i love i i look at it as boy i'm glad they're still around i'm glad they're doing something yes and yes. i accept the work because i accept them their career or their oblog work you know and the beatles are a damn good example Oh yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm the same way. I, I mean, it's yeah. really up to, to them and you don't know what the motivations are. And I think, I think in, in right. this case, the motivation is really, I mean, these guys don't need any more money. They don't need any more attention. Um, I think this motivation was, this is the last opportunity to do John right. And oh, Paul, I would agree. 
you know, and they, it's been, I remember seeing a video of Paul being interviewed uh, in regard to the song and you could tell he was itching to get in to work on this thing. And it's not right. because he was, he cared about making money or cared about, uh, you know, fame or the buzz. He just wanted right. to finish it. He was just like, you know, George didn't like it, but mm, I did. And, you know, he wanted to get in and, and take care of it. And I can tell it was an itch he needed to scratch. And uh, Oh, yeah. The, you, know? you know, the A, I know, and again, not to beat it to death, but I mean, the whole AI issue was really knocked around hard last year. And there really is no AI issue. It's no. Peter Jackson cleaning up a crappy cassette. Yep, that's really all it was. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, now we'll tell you, you know, when we talk about last Beatle record, I would suspect greatly mm -hmm. that knowing McCartney the way we do, they're going to probably go back at Real Love and uh, Free as a Bird. And yeah. Clean them up. Yeah. yeah, I think I think you're right. I think they probably will clean them up. Um, you know, it's interesting. They're so the, those two tracks, when I, something always bothered me was how Jeff Lynn they were. And oh, uh, <laughs> that's a good point. You they know. Were. That that, that really bugged me. Um, yeah, it was George's choice because he'd been working with Lynn. But mm -hmm. Lynn has such a distinct Jeff Lynn sound, that kind of, I don't know what you call that drum sound that he gets, but it's like there's a stiffness to it that's very unbeatly. And oh, very me, mechanical. Yeah, very mechanical. And, and this is, I think, much more uh, organic in that sense. It doesn't have that overriding um lynn touch to it and uh, martin touch although there was i think there is some presence of jeff lynn in this because of oh yeah work. yeah yeah he had uh, of course yeah he did the first first take of yeah. it uh, so the stuff with other stuff too i mean yeah. we'll see there's even the carnival of soul or whatever it's called the uh, carnival, oh, yeah, carnival of, light. of light yeah we'll see that and i'm sure some of that stuff's still gonna see the light of day no pun yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it'll happen while Paul and Ringo are alive, but who knows? Yeah, you know? yeah. it's. I mean, it's. It, I've heard mixed things about Carnival of Light, and I. I don't know if it's any good or not. But the I, consensus, really, if you yeah. look at the sixty, fifty years or whatever of, of talk about it, it's crap. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just crap. And that's it's just right. a chance. You're right, and I think most of the other Beatles, Paul's as completist as they come about that band. The rest of them are like, no, I don't want to release this. You know? <laughs> exactly, but, exactly. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's, you know, it's so fascinating that you wanted to talk about that because I did too, and I was like, it was... It, it just was felt just... right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, the correlation is accurate. I look at Charles Schultz as the, the Beatles of cartooning. I really do. Oh, I yeah, think me he's too. Right there, man, you know. Yep. I absolutely agree. I totally agree. Yeah. What's what's phenomenal, you know, for those of us who love rock and roll and love comic strips, is that all of this happened in the 60s. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. wow, what a period of time, you know, and I, I, I think we've spent ever those of us who lived through it, even as kids, you know, have spent all this time forever afterwards trying to recapture that somehow, you know. Well, think about this. Think about this. The 60s, and again, it's like two boomers at a bar here, but yeah. <laughs> you, think about, you think about the 60s and stuff, the Beatles were essentially existing for eight years. That's it. So that, yeah. like, if you if you put it in modern times, this would be a band that formed in, say, 2015. Yeah. You know? And they literally reinvented everything. I mean, the, the dial legitimately moved with them. Yes. Yes. I mean, the modern, if you want to call it that, the modern world, as it were, yeah. uh, that we, we inhabit now is so characterized by what they contributed. And uh, oh my 
it's just, it's unfathomable, really. Take them away from the equation. I don't know what you're, you know, I don't know that you can, really. That's Uh, what I'm saying. That's why I go, whenever I think of Schultz, I think of Schultz literally in the same aspect. He's probably not alone, but I think for my purposes and certainly yours, he is, the corollary is pretty apt uh, and the analogy is very apt. But he, he, um, his best work, though, was also encapsulated in a very short time period. Yes. It comes out and you can't, this is my take on it, it cannot be stopped. It has to come out. Mm-hmm. And the Beatles operated, if you, if you get anybody who gets fairly familiar with their trajectory, like an hour to hour basis and read up on it, they were oftentimes operating strictly on intuition. So is Schultz. Oh. Yeah. Strictly intuition with no forethought. And I guess to take it all the way back to comic strips in general, a lot of this stuff, as you well know, with your work, it's it's kind of you're going with your gut instinct because mm-hmm. we don't do focus groups, you know, right? <laughs> focus groups. So yeah. the best the best, no matter what art form it really is, I think the best comes out when somebody's operating without thinking about it. That's that's yeah. about the easiest way I can put it. Yep. You're, you're allowed to allow, you know, you're at a point where you can just follow your instincts, uh, follow that muse wherever it goes. And somehow or another, you know, in the greatest, you know, greatest instances, that muse aligns with the zeitgeist somehow. And oh, you, it has to. It yeah, has to. You know, you know I mean, I, I'll go back to the, not to belabor next door neighbors, but I mean, in the book, I, when I started in on the pandemic stuff, yeah, that was difficult to do because, you know, as we all know, I remember for me, the first day that we knew, you know, things were going to be different for a while was I think it was March 14th of 20. Mm-hmm. And at that time, mm-hmm. I had I, I'm usually about two, three weeks ahead. And I, I was all kind of comfy, cozy with the way things were going. And I didn't want to have to rethink how I'm going to approach something from an international crisis perspective, because that's not what the strip's about. No. And yet, yet there I was. Right. So I had, to, you know, suddenly there's a lot of articles coming out. I think Daily Cartoonist might have had somewhere, you know, how are the cartoonists adapting to face right. masks and all this kind of thing? And, you know, if it's Wizard of Id, that's one thing. That's like a fantasy oriented strip. But when you're dealing with characters that do sort of run parallel to current events, you got to do something. So it took me a few weeks of sitting down and thinking, you know, what am I going to do here? So I found, and again, in the sequences from, there's probably about four months worth of pandemic related stuff in there. And I kind of just decided how would these people react to it? And they, the first real sequence in the strip is Jan comes up to him and says, you know, we're going to be holed up in here for a while. So we might as well start cleaning. And Norman looks at the reader and he says, suddenly the crisis is getting worse or something like that. And I love that because it's very typically norm, and yet it was almost bullseye about the current events and stuff. So I yanked that out for a while. You know? Yeah, and I think that's that actually that's what's you know quite quite nice about what you did was that it's exactly instead of you know going into a big instead of it being something that feels out of sync with the strip, it right. feels very much speak. a part of the strip. Yeah. yeah, that's what that's what I think that was the big worry for me. When the whole thing hit, I thought I've got to find, I really was thinking this, I've got to find a way to holistically address this without coming off preachy, maybe. You know, that was yeah. sort of what it was. And and I found it, well, there was one, there's one in there where he's feeling bad that he's commiserating with Deke. Deke was about to lose his bar. 
because of the pandemic. Right. Norm is miserating with Jan and he says, you know, I feel bad. I mean, you know, he's Deke's going to lose the bar. I'm paraphrasing here, but he says something about the the checks they were getting from the government. What were they called? Subsidy chair or something like that. Yes, uh, like that. And she says, oh, you mean you want to give it to him? He goes, no, I want to buy a flat screen TV. You know, it was just <laughs> It was just such a fun time period. But again, it was like everything else. It was running out of gas. And then by the end of the summer, I'm rolling into all the conspiracy nonsense. And as we know, it was a pretty ugly election. Yeah. So, you know, but it was so I guess, you know, I'm already kind of got a third one in the back of my mind here a little bit. But but picking the strips, I mean, I wanted to focus on what I thought was the best of that particular year in a very ugly year. And I think I kind of hit on it. So. Yeah, I think so. And uh, what, what I admire is really how seamless it is, you know, how well it fits yeah. into the scenario of the strip without being yeah. dogmatic, without seeing out of place. And what's Dogmatic's cool. a good word. I did not want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And what's cool about it now is going back and reading it now um a couple years after the fact you know is is it just it recalls all of that in a very natural way and uh it's a little more benign you know at the time that was a that was a year of sweating if you know what i mean it was really (laughs) as we all know i mean what did john lennon say everybody had a hard year yeah yeah (laughs) yeah you know i mean it's um even in the middle of that summer i think another sequence i put in the book was um Norm shows up at Vera's and for her to blow off steam in this ugly year everybody was having, she had a tiki party with the cats. Oh, yeah. And I that sequence, right? The cops show up and it's kind of weird and everything. But um, it's just, it was that stuff. That, by that point, I think I was feeling pretty comfortable referencing the uh, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, as with everything else, it kind of ran out of gas, you know, as the pandemic did. But yeah, right. I suppose that's rightly so, you know, because it, yeah. it feels in the book anyway, it feels very natural um, the way it, it segues in and then segues out. Uh, you yeah, know. it just kind of moves on to other issues and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, especially since, you know, it's been some years now and this collection, you know, uh, just came out um, yeah. this, last, this last few months or so. Um it it you know reading it from a distance now it kind of if it, it just it takes you back but you don't get oversaturated with it and no I think, well i think the beauty of it is you know as we are we're using the book itself really in a way all that material is a bit of a rear view mirror type of thing as we all have looked back on it and it, it while it was an absolutely traumatic stressful time period when you look back on it, I think the collective thinking, if I may speak for all of my, you know, for everybody around or whatever. For all you know, humans. <laughs> I, yeah, all humans. I can't believe we got through it. Isn't it amazing? Right? Yeah, it's amazing. So now we can look back and, you know, whether it's comic strip or music or whatever it might be, uh, that that was truly a tough year. And yet, you know, we got through it. I think of 911, really. Yeah. I mean, when that happened, mm-hmm. Wow. You know, yeah. we were all gassed and then suddenly we started waking up and, you know, things got better again. But I think that's the resilience that we experience, you know, not to get. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, what are you going to do? Right. You know, you right. you have to you have to go on. And as horrific as 9-11 was or, you know, as as disconcerting as uh, as the pandemic was. Um, right. Right. You have to you have to find a way. To, you're still living. You know, we're all we're still, that's those, exactly it. We're all human, you know, and I think everybody reacts to things differently and stuff. And that's why, you know, I got tired of trying to do the mask, by the way. 
drawing yeah. the mask. Noses, <laughs> right? So yeah. it's kind. Of, it was really a a pain to have to draw those. So I was actually very happy. To, I just gave it up one day. I'm not drawing these anymore. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it was a pretty easy to see. Right. <laughs> Right. I just said I'm just not gonna do it. You not know? gonna do it. Their noses right. are too big. I need those noses. <laughs> it was so forced. You know, I had to. I literally had to sit there and think. Okay, are they standing at home, or are they in a store, or are they outside? Should they? You know, I mean, I'm asking myself if these two-dimensional inked characters should be wearing a mask per medical protocol. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. Well, you know, I love the way you do vary it. And, and into, at the time, you know, I mean, if we remember correctly, there were some people who wore masks all the time and there were other people who didn't. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'm looking at, at Norm in the bar right now. And, um, you know, he's talking, Deke is talking and this is a great, great comic. It's almost closing time, Norm. You want anything else? Yeah, I'll, I'll have one more beer. Or as I like to call it, another round of stimulus. <laughs> right. Well, it's the stimulus check thing. I, I also kind of milked that a little bit for oh, gags. Man. And it worked beautifully in that instance. And, uh, you know, I mean, some of the nomenclature that came out of that whole thing was, again, stimulus check. We know what that means, don't we? Sure. Yeah. You know? And then, so it starts to become... Um, something you can use in gags now now if i used it probably not you know i don't think it would have the shelf life well but yeah but it, it works here and uh you know for those of us who remember uh that period of time um it certainly does work and it's it's great as just well, do, do you remember the t the parade like how do i describe this at the time this was right when it all hit and uh, teachers were doing parades like car parades in neighborhoods to say hi to the kids because the kids couldn't be in the school did you guys have anything like that no i don't remember seeing anything like that but it's, oh it's my God. yeah they did a lot of it around our neck of the woods and um so i put that in a strip one of the one of the things yes i remember reading that Claire and jake talking and you know they said oh i forget how it goes but they're saying something to the effect oh the teachers are having a parade isn't that nice and, and claire says isn't that the principal in the car waving and she says something effective. Did she just give you the finger? <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> exactly right. It just it cracked me up because, again, here's another example of something that was really considered a very heartfelt thing going on at the time. And I found a way to to inject yeah. Jake into it a certain way. You know? Oh, I love that, too. That was a great yeah. one. I remember reading that one. It's hilarious. And I think that's one of the things that's so nice about the strip is that it maintains that levity through what was a very difficult time and and you're oh, doing yeah. this in at you know simultaneously with what's happening at that time and it's, i think we the trick you, know, you have to think about it you know mm -hmm. that's tough for me yeah but we all <laughs> you needed you know some sense of normalcy and some sense of of not only normalcy but a sense of humor about things and i think you know you did that and, yeah thank you yeah I, well i was you know like i said it took me a few weeks to get my head kind of into it because you know as you know i mean we're all experiencing it in real time so we're all getting the real negative effects yeah. culturally in our own lives because of it so yeah. you know here i am i'm drawing these characters and i've also got to somehow incorporate it mm -hmm. and it really I, i'm not going to say it was easy but it was for me i'll just speak for myself it was rewarding when i kind of found that nice pocket to work it out Mm -hmm. And then once you find that pocket, and I'm just speaking from the writing perspective of it, but once you find the pocket to put them in, it works pretty easy. 
Yeah. And then, like, and then by the year's end, I think by the time 21 came around, I was really heavily backing off on it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, as it eased up and as, um, you know, the, uh, uh, the pandemic became, you know, was, there was a certain normalcy uh, about yeah. it. And it, and then the, uh, then we were all sort of socializing again, you know, gradually, uh, I think it, it, you know, it made sense, you know, to move out. Of right. it. But, you know, looking back on it now and, and reading the strip now, I think it's a great reminder of what we went through. And, uh, and, it, and it's also hilarious, you know. And oh, so, yeah. yeah, it really is. I mean, I have to say, if folks are listening to this and they don't know Next Door Neighbors, you really got to find it on Go Comics. And you've really got to oh, look for it, please. Yes. Yeah. Because I'm always it, trying it, to find ways to push it. I, I don't, I'm not a good self promoter. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and you got other things going on too, right? You're a musician. Yeah and a graphic designer and you know a little teaching and stuff so i mean i got my hands in a lot of different things but i'm terrible absolutely terrible at self-promotion it's yeah my achilles heel i notice you don't you know you don't pump your name out there uh, uh you know for people to see um a lot but you know when there is a collection like this people really should know and that's well, kind of we, what we're watching, doing. I, i'm doing a bunch of like little promo things Good. that i'll be pushing out there for yeah. for christmas obviously i'm trying to yeah. schlep these guys for christmas and stuff so i'll be pushing them i think the fact that it you know to be on amazon i think we were talking last time about kickstarters i wish i could do one but yeah. i know i would i would be terrible about following up that's a lot of as you well know mm. there's a little bit of um paying attention to getting all your stuff <laughs> there really yeah. is yeah I'm there terrible. is yeah it's it's um yeah, Kickstarter is its own animal, you know. And this uh, thing was a- absolutely awesome. I mean, I the comic book and everything. I loved all that stuff. I think we're both big fans of the whole retro thing. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I, I mean, when I found that, um, you know, that mode of of uh, working through retro supply. I mean, um, it's just you know, I always I just wanted it to feel like that because obviously the the shtick is that it's a, you know, Captain Daiquiri Jones is a comic that came from the 50s you know and oh, uh, yeah you know so anyway it, it just worked out perfectly well down to the playing around with the registration and all it's just so right much. like making it off register and everything i mean yeah. you yeah. know the whole old thing obviously i put that on this one where i was trying to make it look oh, man, I've man, I love it. well i love the people, yeah i thank you i i as you well know though i mean it, it's very easy to overdo that if you if yes. you kind of dig into it and i was i screwed around with that for too long i'll put it that way i just well, wanted a hint but i was trying to reference the old faucet books yeah. and stuff you know. and you did and it feels for anybody who recalls that that stuff or or collects them at th- flea markets or anything you oh know, yeah certainly does i mean you know i i guess folks today may not you know you and i remember but folks today may not recall you know these wonderful pocket paperbacks back in the 60s of all of the greatest strips they were all collected oh, like yeah one way or the other and yeah i tried i will tell you i mean i had i wanted to do something like that for a very long time but i wanted to do it exactly like Mm -hmm. these faucet crest stuff so in effect the book would have to be four and a quarter by six inches yeah thin the paper stock would have to be just less than newsprint quality and you know, black and white and the ink is real, you know, not even dense and all this type of thing. And really trying to do that correctly, I was stunned how difficult it would actually be to do that. 
I could not find, I looked for probably two or three years to find suppliers that could pull that off. And I couldn't, now maybe they're out there, but I, I wasn't able to. I don't to think. Do so my confession was the, the weathered look, you know. Yeah. And you did it really, I think you found a nice compromise between a contemporary yeah. look and the past. It, it does enough to, to, when you pick up the book and you look at the cover, you know what you're looking at, you know, kind of what you're going to get in that sense, because I the know, book yeah. recalls that. Um, Arab, and you know it's you know gag a day strip kind of thing, yeah. um, so you know that from the look of it. But you also found a way of maintaining you know contemporary quality uh, in the well, print. It, it, go through it. The tough part about it, I mean, if I really even at the size that it was in, it's a six mm-hmm. by nine grade paperback. Yeah. Probably, probably, and I'm weighing my words here, doesn't conform to what my original vision was. Right? It's a little horsey sized and stuff. But I, finally, it's sort of like, here we go with the Beatles again. It's sort of like, you know, at the end of Let It Be, they just said, to hell with this. Let's go on the roof and just do something. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of what I ended. I just said, you know, I'm going to make it look weathered and walk away from it. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what. Yeah. And it's not too much. It's just fun. And, it, and it, yeah. for those of us who recall those years, it's, you know, in those books or somebody who's ever been in a flea market and picked up an old BC. Right. It's paperback, you know, it, it really brings it right, right back. And I do, you know, and the, the, your style is so connected to those classic, you know, post-world. That is works. another reason I went that route. I've had that. You're certainly not the only one, but I'm a child of what I grew up in, which is sort yeah. of the way I draw. Right. So I think I've had enough where people will say I've had enough folks say, you know, this has a classic look mm-hmm. to it or an older look to it. And that's true. That is definitely true. It certainly doesn't look, if I'm going to use that word, it doesn't look contemporary. So why not run with it? Right. So I figured, and I tried to make it look as close as possible. I could have done so much more to make it look really old, but even on the back, like I had that little strip mm-hmm. on the back, and, <laughs> yep. you know, even the, the, the copy below it is written to it's kind of perfect. That, that huckster type stuff, you know, it's, it, per, it's perfect. It, do, yeah. it really does the job, you know, yeah. and, uh, it, it's, it's really cool. Um, I like, I, I really loved it. As soon as I got it, I was like, Oh, this is great. man. I, well, I, I just want to push this for the holidays too. So you'll, you'll see them. Trust me. You'll probably get tired of seeing these things, but I'll just put my little ads out and hopefully social media will grab them. It's a well, t- you know, I gotta say, social media is not the easiest place if you're mm-hmm. not used to self-promotion. No. Yeah. No, it can be, it can be tricky. You know, it's, yeah, and it's yeah. harder than, you know, you got, you, you really do have to hammer the self promo stuff really mm-hmm. day after day. I guess the people who are really successful at it are those people who have no shame, you know, yeah, um, you have to really put it in people's face all the time. And I get extremely self-conscious of doing that. So yeah. I, you know, I could, I push this on Sundays, like on weekends at go comics, I'll put like a little teaser ad for the new book, but Right now, what I'm going to probably do starting at some point this week is push it hard for about two weeks for the holidays. Yeah. You know, and if people want to order it over to Amazon, that'd be awesome. You know? Yeah. And as a matter of fact, um, I'm hoping to get this out online uh, very shortly, sometime early this week. So, uh, yeah. So hopefully this will help. And um, folks, you're hearing my dogs in the background right now. They're, woof. They're, woof, they're woof. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they're up <laughs> My dogs sleep, of course, you know. Yeah, <laughs> the older. But the, we have a puppy, so you know she's not exactly a puppy. She's like six or seven months old now, but a rescue, and uh, she's great. But but she gets everybody revved up, so they're all. I don't know what they're going to town on, but whatever it is, I hope you guys can <laughs> put up with well, it. Um, 
but you know definitely folks if you you know if you are <laughs> this is a great book it's a lot of fun you don't have to um you know it it's just funny and it's topical but without being heavy and it it uh and and it's a great environment in it that will recall your own experiences of of next door neighbors and so um, I definitely think you should check out Block Party and Next Door Neighbors Collection. Bless you, sir. You know, by by it's Pat and on Amazon. Yes. Oh, I love it, man. I love it, and I I love, you know, I mean, it's got everything that I love about a classic comic strip. You know, classic humor comic I strip. And, that. and uh, and I'm a big, you know, aficionado of of well, comic well, strips. Yes, you are, and I take that I take that very seriously. I appreciate that. I think, yeah. you know, that's. That's very heartfelt to hear. I really appreciate it. I cannot well, say that enough. The same thing goes through your work, Jeff. It, uh, you can tell when somebody loves what they're doing. Yeah. I guess that's one point, you know. Yeah, it's true, right? You know, it is right. it really is true. It comes across. And I think that one of the things that comes across here is how much you love the characters and the interplay oh, of the yeah. Right, right. I think that always comes through. Sincerity, I guess. Not to put a peanuts thing on it, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, right? I know, I know. But it's it it really does, and it's not not only sincere, but it's hilarious. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's you know, certainly none of us are becoming millionaires here. So you have, right. I mean, in this environment, I, and I've I don't know if I've used this analogy before, but you know, thirty five, forty years ago, you could be at a party, a cocktail party. I've said this to other people where maybe you're the only person there that does art, let alone cartooning and everybody else is in more traditional fields. It was unusual nowadays yeah. though. I mean, you could be in a mixed circle and I would say half the room is doing some type of art or graphic design or cartooning or something like that. There's yeah. hundreds of thousands out there because of the internet. Right. Yeah. So suddenly everybody, you know, and their aunt and uncle are doing stuff maybe similar to this. Yeah. And it is very, very difficult to be seen. I think that's yes. the only way I can put it. And I follow, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with um, Seth Godin. You ever hear of him? No. Uh, He's uh, kind of a writer on uh, business and workshops mm -hmm. and all that type mm -hmm. of thing. But anyway, he, do, he does a lot of theoretical um, posts and stuff like this. And he's referred to something called the minimum viable audience. And I have to agree with this. It's basically... You know, if you've got a small audience, then then treat them well, I guess is my way of reading into it and do the stuff that you know that they're going to enjoy. That's a good and, idea. Uh, it's really interesting. So, I mean, it's, you know, we all would like to have half the Internet in our pocket with our properties. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think I guess it's my maybe long winded way of saying that anybody who does read the strip, I, I profoundly appreciate and they enjoy it. And that's something that uh, feels pretty good. That's that's. In, a, in an in an infinite world of the internet, that's pretty yeah. cool to me. Yeah, it is pretty cool because there's a lot of things to choose from. People can pick and choose. Right. From. Oh if you've God. got an audience, right, you know, cherish yeah. them. And oh, uh, that's kind of how I look at it because I yeah. I just don't know any other way to roll out there, you know. Yeah, sure, and it and it comes across, and it, it, what else comes across is is that you love doing the strip, and the strip is funny as hell. And uh, I think it shows. Forever. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I really yeah. do. Well, I, I am saying it from the bottom of my my not so cynical heart, you know. I mean, honestly, work talking to each other. That's I know, cool. right? This this can get really sickly for for folks who are listening. I'll tell you what, though, while we're talking, and I hate mm -hmm. to throw in another plug, but I just got Jay Stevens' new comic, Dwellers, Oh yeah, number six, and he's another one that I think is very very much 
just he he does what he loves. Yeah, and it he comes does. out absolutely stunning, man. You know. Yeah, Jason is, is he was on the show once, and um, yeah. you know, I just have such admiration for the guy. You know, I mean, he was yeah. he he really went through a lot. Uh, he you know went through a lot and came out the other side and. Uh, yeah. And what, what he came out doing is just great. It really hit a chord. He does oh, a beautiful God, job with his stuff. It really is. I just cannot believe it. every time I see anything coming off of his Instagram or it's obviously his comics. Yeah. I thought this is somebody that loves, truly loves what they're doing. You know? Yeah, he does. And, you know, I mean, he was in California for a long time doing animation and stuff. And he had a big, you know, I mean, I think he was doing very well. And then, you know, he just you know, for a variety of reasons that ended and, uh, he went back to doing his own comics Re, you know, refocused, found himself, uh, as a cartoonist again. Yeah. And, um, you know, and really just entered into a kind of renaissance of his own stuff. I think he's doing the best stuff he's ever done. Oh, of course. And like I said, you don't, it doesn't populate the newsfeed like some things do. It's just its own incredibly well done thing. Yeah. And I think <laughs> that's something that comes through. Yeah. yeah. And folks, if you're listening, <laughs> uh, yeah. as uh, as uh, actually he says at one point, um, you know, if you're listening, check him out. You know, um, Jay Stevens. Uh, yes. Just great stuff. I think he's I on. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I, th- I, I know he's on Instagram. Um, yeah. I can't remember what what his name, what uh, the tag is for jay stevens on instagram but if you look him up it's jay stevens with a ph and um, man well, he's, that's not all i'm saying just to add to that is that you know here we are it's the holiday season everybody's looking for something to buy why not support local talent like that yeah local artists that you don't see every single day in the chicago tribune for example i yeah. mean there's some talent out there that's jaw-dropping and I try to support them as much as I can because it's just there's so much of it. Yeah. But they're not in the usual outlets that we are used to. It's not just Barnes and Noble and the local newspaper, you know. No, no, it's true. And uh, it. so it's a, it's a good idea to look for that. And, and yeah. you know, um, w- well, you know, uh, you can find it online, obviously. Right. Uh, if you start looking, you know, uh, online, you can see it. everybody follows stuff and you see it. But again, here we go back with the whole social media thing. It's a tsunami. Yeah. It's a tsunami of content. That's very oh difficult to settle it down. You know? What yeah. I mean? it's, yeah, it sure is. And it's, it's yeah. hard to narrow, to navigate, you know, over right. time. Right, right. but you know, if you start with somebody that, you know, whose work, you know, you like, hopefully, things will pop up in that direction and guide you that way. Um, so, you know, the book is, is out there. It's on Amazon. Um, it's, it's hopefully doing real well now. I hope it's going to do really well for the holidays. It's called block party, a next door neighbor's collection by Pat Sandy. And you will find it on Amazon. Just look for that. You can also find the first book just called next door neighbors, a comic strip. Right there. Yeah. You know, um, they're both really great. So I, you know, I hope that people find this and do, and you know, buy up bunches of copies because. You know, mom and dad and the kids. Exactly. Yeah. You know, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, grandma. <laughs> yep. Sure. It'll it'll relate to all of them, and that's one of the great things about the strip too. I think is exactly that you find a way to you know to both. I don't know, reinvigorate suburban life or, or recontextualize it. And yet it's also really relatable to all of us who, uh, who've ever grown up in that kind of environment. 
Thank you so much, very much for the kind words, my friend. Oh, well, you know, I, I absolutely, well, you know me, man. I've, I've loved the strip since I think way back when, I don't know, uh, way you back. Were early, you were an early adapter, as they say. Well, you know, it, it's, cl- I think I've responded to the classicness of it. Um, you know, the classic, yeah. it's classic, but it's not stuck in the past. That's something that I, I should Well, you know, that's an interesting point. I mean, I had people, God, early on, they would say this would have been the funnest strip in the 90s or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, what did you say? <laughs> you, know, you, can only, you can only be true to yourself. That's all I could say. I can't draw stuff that looks like a 20-year-old did it. I cannot create stuff that kind of comes from a, a millennial's perspective because I'm not, you know? Yeah. And I think we can both relate to that. And I, I think, you know, the one thing I can't get into is inauthenticity. I don't want to try to manufacture yeah, a base was something that's sort of in a focus groupy way, kind of tailored to a particular age group. So yeah, I do no. what I do. You're the same way. Sure, you do what you do, and if you find that audience, however big or small or whatever, yeah, that's something in this day and age. It's yeah, it's really it is. It's really hard to find an audience, and I think yeah. uh, find like-minded people or people who respond to your sensibility. Who get you. Who get you, know, you? Get you? Yeah, exactly. Once you do. Man, you know, you got to hold on to them. And uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. I think that's what I appreciate so much. So hopefully they, you know, they got some bucks to spend or whatever and get some of these and, you know, buy the books and all that. But even at that, it still yeah. is very, very gratifying, even long after Christmas is over, that I still see the same folks that are digging it. So it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the, obviously, you you know, buy it for Christmas, get it for your friend. But even if, if you miss the holidays, still buy it. You know, block still available year round. Year round, absolutely. Absolutely. With that, uh, let's take a break for a few minutes uh, because the second part of the show goes into slightly different territory where we begin to talk about that aforementioned uh, Instagram post filled with self doubt that I talked about earlier. And so Pat and I get into some of that and some of the ways around that and how you navigate all of that. So I hope you'll you'll listen to that, but you might want to take a break. Uh, you might want to go about your day or you may uh, want to come back to it another day. Whatever, I encourage you to listen to it because it is, is definitely worthwhile. Pat always has great advice, great things to say, great insights. And you'll know that if you read Next Door Neighbors in Go Comics. And I urge you to check it out if you haven't subscribed to uh, Next Door Neighbors by Pat Sandy on Go Comics, do so today. And I also strongly, strongly advise uh, during this holiday season that you pick up Block Party by Pat Sandy off of Amazon or wherever good comics collections are sold uh, and give it to a friend, give it to a loved one, buy it for yourself as a little little, uh, early Christmas gift or early holiday gift. Uh, Block Party by Pat Sandy. It is on Amazon as we speak, so check it out right away. Don't waste any time. Who knows how long the copies will last. And as long as we're doing plugs, you can always find whatever I'm doing at jeffgrogan.com, although I don't tend to update there as often as I should. It's you know one of those things that falls by the wayside uh, it, during my, my busy, busy day. And often forget to do that. But it's pretty up to date these days. I think it's got my latest work on there. 
uh, Captain Daiquiri Jones and the Space Rockettes, which was a Kickstarter this last summer. And I do have a few copies, so if you want to get a hold of that, it's a pretty cool book, I have to say. and something I'm, I'm really pleased with, and it is the precursor to a longer project that uh, I'll tell you all about later on. If you follow me on Instagram, I'm at greenscreencomic at Green Screen Comic, which is where I do most of my posting. Green Screen Comic is one word. Green Screen Comic. You'll know it's me because uh, the, un- the subtitle is Jeff Grogan Cartoonist. So check that out uh, today. And that way you can keep up with what I'm doing and whatever Kickstarter I'm doing or, or anything like that. Let me tell you, Captain Daiquiri Jones and the Space Rockettes, uh, it is a project I'm proud of. And I said it's part of a larger project, a larger series I'm working on. And uh, uh, this is earth-shattering work, let me tell you. So uh, be sure to follow me and uh, check in at jeffgrogan.com, G-E-O-F-F-G-R-O-G-A-N.com, and at Green Comic on Instagram. That's where you will find me on social media most often. Oh, hey, I almost forgot. You can follow me on YouTube at Jeff Grogan's Blockhead. Look for me on YouTube there. I do have a channel, and I do periodically post animations or or a variety of different promos for Kickstarters or et cetera, et cetera. and, And I started doing some short comic reviews last year, and I'd like to get back to doing some of those. So Jeff Grogan's Blockhead on YouTube. So with that, take a big stretch get yourself a sandwich or a snack make your way back to the drawing table or wherever you have to be at the moment and let's get back to the show so um one of the things we were going to talk about uh, on the podcast today, not to, to get too far away from it, was a couple of weeks uh, a weeks ago, I made a post on, on Instagram. It was kind of disillusioned. And and um, you were, you know, you, you wrote me and said that you had some some thoughts, you know, relating to your own experiences in that regard. And, and I thought it might be interesting at this point, you know, to sort of talk about not only some of the difficulties um that as cartoonists we encounter over a period of time um but also how you keep going you know um under there wasn't anything specific i mean i could sit here and give all kinds of anecdotes but i think what resonated from your post was we kind of have been hitting on it a little bit here is it is in the in the world of the internet it's one thing to say you know we all want to go viral Mm-hmm. The going viral doesn't necessarily mean it's good. No. You know, so that's that's sort of what was kind of resonating with me is that it's a it's a shared uh, yeah. mindset that we it's hard to get that visibility on property that mm-hmm. we create on on social media because we you know everybody can say oh no the algorithms don't control anything it's just because your stuff isn't funny or something like that i've actually seen that mindset out there and that is absolutely inaccurate i think Mm -hmm. you know and i've seen that mindset pop up more often than not on twitter but twitter is kind of what it is but to be able to rise up above with your work to rise up above the billions and trillions of grains of sand out there and say you know hey you know i'm here Mm-hmm. That's that's bravery to me. Now, I don't mean to overemphasize it, but I'm somebody that's actually very, very naturally introverted, and it's not easy for me to say, "Hey, everybody, 
I'm here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And meanwhile, yeah. some people are on their 48th collection of books and they're all in the, you know, the Louvre and everything. So <laughs> you have to, you really have to love your own work enough yeah. that you want to make it the best, even it's, even if it's probably not going to be as successful as you'd like. That goes well, back to that Seth Godin thing I was talking about with a smaller audience. I just kind mm-hmm. of accepted it after a while. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what's so funny about your stuff is that it really, it, it's, it, it's prime for a bigger audience. You know, I mean, I, I could see your stuff relating to a, a huge audience. Um, one of the things I think maybe that maybe holds it back is that is the fact that it is really a classic comic strip format and and it's classic yeah but you know a lot of stuff that comes out now is formatted very very specifically yeah for for the internet and for instagram now i know i format the strip for instagram you know mm-hmm. what the square format and the way the books are done but what you're referring to is is what I call sort of long form narrative type strips that I don't see a lot of those coming out anymore. There's some of them. I mean, there's some incredible. I mean, obviously you got uh, Will Henry and you have uh, sure. and all that. I mean, there's some really amazing stuff, but it's not the norm. It's the norm seems to be the more esoteric stuff. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I can't write like that. I just, no. I don't know. How to, you know. Well, you're, you're interested in character and I think yeah. in order, and this is one of the things in a world that's like where your attention span is broken up uh, yes. you know, among zillions of things, um, you know, getting invested in a character and in characters is particularly in media that goes by as quickly as, as uh, Instagram or a comic strip does. It's yeah. really hard, you know? Um, yeah, I, I think that's that speaks to content in general nowadays. Yeah. It has to. It either has to click in an instant, mm-hmm. or it moves on like the the proverbial grain of sand. Yeah. So I probably work in a form, a narrative form, and you're similar to this. That that is not exactly common these days. I'll put yeah. it that way. I'm trying to weigh my words because I think they're all legit. It's just that I think character based. Mm-hmm long short strip humor is kind of not Mm -hmm. in demand i could be wrong on that i don't know well you know it's funny because um most of the strips that i've always followed are character based and character driven but i haven't you know i don't except for like you know Tahid Bondia's, you know, crabgrass, um, which seems to fill a void or, you know, Will Henry strip or something like that. I don't really follow. I don't really see a lot of strips that engage character in the same way that you're talking about. Um, In a narrative type of way. Yeah. Yeah. It has has a certain kind of continuity, even though, you know, like your continuity will go on for a few days or maybe even a couple of weeks, but then it'll move on to something else. I mean, right. you know, we're not talking about great novels here that go on and on right. for years. We're, we're talking about, you know, um, a laugh a day comic, but, but on the the novel, time, yeah, on the novel angle. And I've said this before, probably on this particular show, but I'm, uh, you know, I liken the, at least the way I approach comic strips, I liken it to writing a novel, but one sentence every day. Yeah, that takes yeah. patience, and I'm not a patient person, you know. Right. Yeah, and it but, takes investment of an audience to get into yes. into that, you know. You have uh, to be willing to to follow it to a certain yeah. extent. We're we're in a world though of of meme like culture. Yeah. And you know, by their very nature, memes are like a McNugget. You know, they're not yeah. a steak dinner. 
Yeah. No, and and they are ephemeral, and they come and they go. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're meant exactly. to resonate. Whereas, and you know, like it, that. it's quick. yeah, they do. It's quick. They don't have to invest in it. You know. And, yeah. Um, whereas in a comic strip like Next Door Neighbors, um, you know, you have to get to you, you invest. You may recognize the characters right away, but in order to enjoy the strip, you've got to kind of invest a little bit of well, yourself. That's, that's in good. The I mean, superficially, Norm, and it, that's the entire original conceit of the strip is Norm's really not a likable person. He's that guy. Yeah. So superficially, if you stumble across it for more than one second, it's probably like, I don't know about this. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm eight years into it almost, and it's kind of you need to invest, like you're saying, you need to go back and read them and kind of get used to it. And I don't think that's how all of us culturally are kind of currently wired. So when you do, that brings you kind of around back to the whole smaller audience thing is that when you do have people that have given you part of their time, mm-hmm. you know, in a world of all this content hitting us daily, I think that's something i respect that yeah when somebody takes the time and they i mean from yourself to others where somebody has taken the time to recognize a body of work Mm -hmm. i mean that's that's really humbling in a way it really is i mean i can't believe that i have people that will reference something from 2019 or whatever people who care people who care yeah so that's why i go back this whole thing you know support your artists or support your local artists or whatever but this stuff doesn't get created in an ether, you know, I mean, it, it's a lot of sweat, as you know. Sure. You know, yeah. and, and, and it's, you know, like something, for, as you're just saying, eight years, man, eight years you've been. Well, working I, will tell you this. I have, and I told you this before, I have a very, very bad case of imposter syndrome. Any creative <laughs> I've ever met, any creative I've ever met has an element of that. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I wake up and I can't believe that people read it after all this time and stuff. And that also is not to say humbling. I don't want to beat that word up, but it's it's maybe it's gratifying. Maybe that might be the right word that somebody noticed. Hey, you know, it's a good thing. Well, it's it's interesting because that you mentioned imposter syndrome, because actually, you know, that's oh. part of what I was talking about in that post that you responded to that kind of hooked us up again um i mean one of the things that i was you know having trouble with um well periodically i think we all go through this it's not like something that i've ever just gone through once and then it's gone away it's the kind of thing where you go through it more heavily at some time than at other times sometimes you're you've got a project going and you just ride on the momentum of the project or you yeah. know and you're excited about it and carries you through all of any misgivings or self-doubt or any of that kind of stuff but then there are other times usually for me they're they're in between projects or after one is finished and before one really gets well underway where i start to feel this sense of you know am i really you know uh, am i really a cartoonist am i really an artist or am i just one of those little you know hobbyists right um it's it's the kind of thing where you really begin to doubt yourself because in part um because you haven't had that validation you thought that came with being an artist you know that's exactly what it is but again the metric that we may or may not want to use but the metric in the internet age Mm -hmm. the metric for success has kind of changed a little bit it's very difficult to get placement. So I think that while the while the internet has democratized exposure, I suppose, right? You know, there's 500 million people doing this. Right. 
but it but and it makes no uh, makes absolutely no concession to who what's better or whatever it doesn't parse it out like that no um so it does democratize it but i mean in the old days think about this i mean how many people never got any exposure whatsoever and you knew they were probably pretty good there was probably quite a few sure so the gate the whole concept of gatekeeping in newspapers as opposed to internet is dramatically different in these yeah. days Oh, it sure is. You know, it, it really is. And that's that's the truth of it. You I mean, think about it without gatekeepers, um, you know, uh, it's all out on the playing field for people to. And right. there's so much to occupy our minds, our attention span. And, um, you know, we will see certain things catch on and, and rise to the top or whatever, rise to a certain level of, of visibility. But then right. most of the stuff. You know, most of it is kind of caught in this, I don't want to call it competition because it's not, but it's a competition for our attention, really. That's exactly Um, what it is. You know, and yeah, it's eyeballs and and you're just trying to get the stuff out there to be seen for whatever reason, for the validation in part. It's like, it's, it's when I do this, it's like, you know, I'm not making art. I'm not making comics or, or, or I want an audience, right? But I'm not doing it to make money. You know, I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, it's not, that's not the, I would love to be able to just say, okay, walk away from everything and just do this and make a living from it. But it's like, that's not the real motivating factor. You know, if it was, I would have walked away from all of this years and years ago, but I can't, you know, a lot of the stuff that I see that is specifically internet, the, the level of authenticity is is sometimes sometimes pretty palpable because i mean it i'll I'll say this for just about any content that one would put online whether it's a painting that you did or a sketch or a caricature or whatever it's 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 really is a brave thing to do anybody to put their creative work out for mass consumption i don't care what the platform is whether it's in newspapers or or whatever comics internet or whatever it to show your work to other people Mm-hmm. And to and to invite buy-in or not buy-in to invite criticism or whatever, in my opinion, is a very brave thing to do. Yeah, and I think that's not often very appreciated by the mass public because I don't think I think they're so used to to content hitting them in the face twenty four seven that they just take it all for granted. They, I think you're right. I think it's really yeah. easy to take it's really easy to take. Well, comics for granted, you know, for example, you know, it's everywhere, but it, and it is everything, music and, and, you know, literature and whatnot. I mean, but especially anything like a comic that can be shared instantaneously and read instantaneously, there is, there is a huge risk because people are no longer, oh, you know, first of all, there's so much competition, but people can be really like, so um insensitive to the idea that a human being produced this they just they're so used to being fed uh a a zillion things a minute that they can be they 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 can give something that maybe deserves a chance but they no chance whatsoever you know there's well there's a human behind some of the content all ai generated content aside behind behind the some of this content we're talking about is a human that works yeah. very difficultly hard trying to put something together 
And the result is basically, sometimes it's crickets, man. I've experienced that so often. That's what I'm saying, the <laughs> imposter syndrome thing. After a while, I'm just used to it. I yeah. got used to it. It's never fun when you think like nobody's like paying attention to something, but it just is what it is in this day and age. And it's, you know, it's not easy. No, it's, I think it's, I think it's part of just being a creative person, right? Is yeah. like, is like, especially somebody who's got, uh career aspirations but even right. aside from that but anybody who's got career aspirations over a period of time i mean let's be honest the, the number of people who in any era who've really succeeded at making a, a, a life and gained recognition for what they're doing in I mean, we're talking about say mass recognition um right. in the arena that they're working in is really small it's it's infinitesimally oh, it, and it doesn't feel like it's small because the internet makes yeah. it seem like everybody including you know aunt edna has won an <laughs> academy award yeah, yeah. everybody's walking around doing the queen's wave and it's right. really not like that no it's <laughs> not it and yeah. now so many people are i mean it's wonderful on the one hand that so many people have found a way you know to engage their creativity and share it right that's that's right. no no doubt about that that's that's a boon for humanity right yes. uh, to, for people to find that aspect of themselves but at the same time um it also means that it's much more difficult to develop that audience without oh. say you know a platform like uh whether it's go comics or something like that um or even you know kickstarter which offers a platform too right although it's right, right. purely self-curated um, kickstarter probably has even more to do with a lot of the audience engagement and developing an audience because it forces you to do that you you yeah. have to you know send updates and all that type of stuff sure you do yep yep and have you done have you done kickstarter yet no i i my my problem, and I really emphasize the word problem, is that I would forget to send out the update for the bookmark. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, I know I would drop the ball enough that it would be kind of insulting to somebody giving me their money. So <laughs> I, I just, I tried to, I, I don't know. Patreon's another one too. Patreon obviously is a very effective well, device as well. Yeah, it is. And I have to admit, I'm terrible at it. I'm, I'm, See, I, I can't. I, yeah. I, I haven't been able to, I, I have a Patreon account and I have like, I think because of the podcast, I think I got like two followers, you know, yeah. and I'm just God awful at it. Um, well, it's the democratizing of it. I mean, the fact is it is probably at this juncture easier than ever yeah. to really cultivate an audience. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the onus of that falls on the creator and most creators. I mean, can you imagine Charles Schultz? doing a patreon no <laughs> you know what i mean like sparky would sit there and send out updates and crap and you know he wouldn't yeah. be he he probably wouldn't even go publish books on his own he just wouldn't be bothered with it because he no busy, you know busy writing and drawing and which That's was it. great because he had all these people around to do that for him nowadays the role of the artist uh, the role of, of the creative if you will has changed and become multifaceted in a way if you're going to compete in the world and get attention for what you do and all that kind of stuff you really you know you really do have to be on top of it when it comes to self-promotion and stuff yeah it's no place for an introvert i will tell you no that. it's not and i and i do have to say that i think generationally speaking 
this is a generalization, I'm sure. But genera- generational speaking, those of us who grew up with this other paradigm probably find it more difficult to make the transition to doing oh, something. You know, and I think you and I are probably in the same age bracket. Sure. And yeah. so we fall into that older paradigm. Um, but I think, you know, even generations just immediately after us, like, you know, are so much more adept um, right. because it was built into the, especially the younger people, you know, I mean, we're talking about kids who are like my students or stuff. I think they're right. definitely, they've developed, they grew up with those skills uh, and developed them. And the media environment is theirs, you know, in that sense. Um, oh, there's no question of that. There's no yeah. question. I think it, it is absolutely generational, although there are some you know, uh, boomer age creators mm-hmm. out there making a name and stuff. But generally speaking, I think we are at the end of the day, that kind of a product of our upbringing or our, yeah. our influences. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, you know. so when I see like a book like Block Party, I'm like, well, yeah, this is the natural outgrowth of, of that comic strip. This is the format that um, we grew up with, you know, and this, right. this is the realization, you know, it comes together in a collection like this that, you know, um, that would be on spinner racks, you know, at the drugstore, you know what I mean? With and all the yeah, other- and, that's, and that's the central part of it. I think that, I think one thing that, that would speak out, I would hope it would, at least with my content, certainly with your stuff as well, is the authenticity of it. I'm, I'm certainly incapable of creating anything other than something like next door neighbors. It's just kind of is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I can appreciate uh, anything retro influenced, you know, certainly um, your work, Stevens and a few others. I mean, I love all of that, but it would not work for me to have a different, like say focus group type new voice that, yeah. you know, trying to be a younger audience. I think people can spot authenticity. I really can. Yeah. I think yeah. they can see a mile away. And, um, so I, I guess at the bottom line, it's probably, I try, and I'll speak for myself here, but I just don't want to be, I don't want to try to be anything I'm not. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, if I get the audience, it's sort of an acquiescence to reality, actually, because, uh-huh. you know, nobody's going to be doing full length motion pictures and stuff at my end. It's just not going to be working like that. But <laughs> you know, I did create something that had a little bit of resonance. So that's gratifying. Yeah. Well, and yeah. I mean, authenticity is the word, you know, the byword when it comes to like your book, for example. And that's one of the reasons I love the cover, the the faux retro cover. Um, It calls to mind the tradition this book belongs to, you know, which is what you and I both experienced these. You know, I mean, uh, even the generations just immediately after us probably didn't experience that in the same way. But when we were kids, these kinds of paperbacks were all over the place in the neighborhood and whatnot. And whether it was Dennis the Menace or it was BC or it was, you know, Beetle Bailey or, or Peanuts, they were floating around all the time. And, and that was the way, aside from the newspaper, more often than not, a kid who didn't read the newspaper on a regular basis saw these books, you know, and, and they were cheap, you know, they were affordable. Uh, You, you buy them on the spinner rack at a drugstore. They weren't, Oh, you know, they didn't have the imprimatur that, you know, comics have today, um, you know, in the sense that they're in a comic shop or they're in a bookstore or whatever. They were in, you know, environments like, uh, you know, like a, a, a pharmacy or something like that. And Oh, for sure. I, you I know? think it's physical proximity. I think, you know, if you're somebody who was raised on the Internet, and we're talking probably maybe late X and then millennials and Z and all that. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
they have this little thing in front of their face, all just like we do. It's a computer, mm-hmm. and it's infinite. Think about it; it's infinite. Yeah. Yeah. So their their parsing of content probably is quite a bit different than grandma's drugstore, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, and again, so that, I'm never going to try to fool anybody. I'm 64, so I'll own it and just say that's kind of where I'm coming from. If people get that, whether they're 25 or 70 or whatever, that's even more amazing. You know, it's yeah, it's yeah, I'm, I'm blown away by that. I'm sitting here uh, and we're talking, and and you know. Um, it's kind of interesting because uh, you and I are like within a year of each other. I'm I'm 63 right. and I'll be yeah, 64 sometime. Yeah. yeah, in in and I was born in 60. And so uh anyway, it's it's like so we're we are the, I- interesting that the the issues that we're talking about or the unfamiliarity we're talking about is something that's typical of our generation. I think oh, yeah. you you go to somebody who's even 10 years younger, you've got somebody who is already moved out of like the environment that we were comfortable with or knew about in the late sixties and early seventies. And they're on to something else, you know, um, oh, you know, transitional it may be, but I think that it's a transition that leads into, uh, a younger generation that is fully, you know, adept at this media environment. And, um, Oh, I've had college age students. They'll, I'll sit there and blabber away about, you know, Jack Kirby and uh, Mort mm-hmm. Walker and so on and so forth. And many of them have no idea what I'm talking about. Right. And then they'll, then they will show me stuff that they follow online that I've never even heard of. And then suddenly sure. I feel like I'm 180 years old. I know. You know? I know. <laughs> well, you know, it is in a, in a, in some sense, we are um, a transitional generation. Sure. And and that we're in the sense that we watch an environment that formed our sensibilities um, evaporating and giving way to an entirely different media environment. And uh, and that goes, you know, that goes to comic strips. It goes to everything, really, you know. Um, right. Which is, oh, yeah. Everything changes. I mean, we, we could talk about impermanence all day long, but that really is the reality. Mm-hmm. The, the, the whole Zen comp concept of impermanence is kind of what things really should be yeah so if there's an old old guard out there that you know generated peanuts and mort walker and marvel and all this kind of stuff it was inevitable that it would have to morph into something else but to cater to it when it's not in your dna so to speak Mm -hmm. goes back to that inauthentic thing so i made peace a long time ago you know, with no Academy Awards and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) I will never make peace with trying to get that gag just right. Like sometimes I'll struggle for three days because I hate the word I'm going to use. Mm -hmm. And that's for whatever reason is sort of a motivating thing to me. Well, something different for a deadline, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. But trying to shape a gag um, really, I mean, is such you know there's a beauty to shaping a gag to finding the right yeah. the right verbiage the right flow of the the words the rhythm the rhythm man the yeah. rhythm um so that it doesn't call too much attention to itself but yeah. it's funny you know and and it, finding that that's a really hard thing to do and i think fun. you know i think that's one of the most beautiful things about doing a comic strip like like um next door neighbors is being able to to mine that that tradition you know of of you know the verbal and and trying to shape your the rhythm of your dialogue 
so that it's not only natural, but that it that it flows in such a way that you get the punchline at the end in a, in in such a way that it's surprising and um, revealing and just you know funny. And that's, that's why again, it's a, that's uh, we do our homework. I mean, we'll sit there late at night screwing around with this stuff, and I think that probably any cartoonist, no matter who they are, struggles mm-hmm. with this. and. Mm-hmm. You know, rhythm, rhythm visually and, and otherwise is something that is probably the intangible that's very difficult to grab, you know, superficially. I will say this, you know, they talk about, you know, syndicates will always put out stuff about what they're looking for or what they could be. And they always you, you see phrases like point of view, mm-hmm. cartoonist point of view and all that. And I've often sometimes wondered if it gets confused where people think they're talking about art or writing or, you know, separated, but it's not. I think. I think point of view in the in the craft that we traffic is everything. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like it's not just Beatles' big goofy looking feet mm-hmm. and the ink line. It's not just the way Doonesbury's eyes are drawn and sometimes the Bon Mots in the fourth panel or the penultimate third empty panel. It's everything, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's hard. To, that's hard to even teach. It's hard to explain. Now, yeah. you you obviously you understand it because we're talking essentially the same language to each other. Yeah. But comic strips, the point of view is something that is really hard to cultivate because you can't plan it out. It, it comes out of you eventually as a body of work. Like, I don't think Jack Kirby and Stan Lee in 1960, all current arguments about their partnership aside, sat there and were, were actually thinking we're doing, you know, Groot as a tree character in Tales of Suspense. They had a deadline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just got rid of this stuff because they were under like tremendous pressure. You could make the same case for Schultz and anybody mm-hmm. that's creating something constantly. Mm-hmm. The point of view is something that's inherent. It's hard yeah. to spot. It's very hard to spot. You know, you just try to you try to be as authentic as you can with your work, and then then you're trying to sell it to somebody, and that's where the rub comes in, whether it's the internet or print or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. You mentioned Kirby and Stan Lee and, um, and this idea that they, they were, were and, and you're right too. It, it has to go for somebody like Schultz too, that, that they couldn't, you know, sit aside and cultivate a point of view right? or, or a, an approach a priori to doing the stuff. They, they just did all. stuff because they, they had a, a machine to, to feed and yeah. and they had mouths to feed and so yeah. they didn't have time to analyze it or to think about it in depth at all they had to just do it and the and through doing it obviously you know a zillion times you would begin to um give evidence to a particular point of view but when you think about you know somebody like kirby um working with lee or working alone um it took him years really you know uh, and uh, for him eventually to do, to present something that is what we would identify as kirby-esque you know oh look at kirby in the 50s and look at yeah. 1965 they're very yeah. different style you know? yeah yeah very different very different vision by the 19 oh, middle sure. 1960s much more expansive vision by the 1960s and you, you don't know what was feeding that at the time but definitely that's you know classic kirby is really you know I think we talk about like 63 or something like that onto, onto like 70, 71 or something. You know, and, and then 
it's interesting postmodern Kirby <laughs> in right. the seventh oh, and eighth. Sure. Mm. I just think you can't you can't um, when I say cultivating it, it's very difficult. I know when somebody is looking for something when they say point of view. I, not I know. I mean, I, my gut instinct is that it's the the overall. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say patina of that work, but the art and the writing in combination together mm-hmm. says something. That's yeah. why sometimes, like if you look at some of the very, we talked about this one time too, the very, very early Doonesbury was written in sort of a comic strip verite type of form. It was almost intended to look like it was doodled on a napkin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the moment, right? And I think most most creatives, when they're working, they are in the moment. Sure. And that's when it really comes out and it's real genuine and stuff. I, I just can't imagine trying to, to draw something or create something that wasn't really my particular brand of humor. It'd be very difficult to do. You know, uh, it's interesting you mentioned about uh, Doonesbury because um, I re- it, it, the stuff that's being done now is obviously, you know, so thoroughly professional and oh, yeah, you're yeah, still, yeah. you know, it's great for in its own way, but the stuff I really relate to are, are those first, I don't know, <laughs> 20, first years. 30 years. I don't know, but the oh, first 10 years. years, the early stuff is so genuine. Yeah. Yeah. So genuine that it screams authentic and it's so distinctive. You know, there was a little bit of, I will say that, you know, in the early, like the first year or two of Doonesbury, when it was really chicken scratchy, mm-hmm. there's a little bit of Schultz in that. Oh, yeah, you definitely. Know, there's definitely a lineage to who influenced him. Oh, yeah, sure. But it, then suddenly that point of view starts to almost organically grow. And we saw that within about five years, that strip was just unbelievable. I mean, it, the storyline were all over the place. I mean, nobody was luckier than Gary Trudeau to have Watergate. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you That's know, well it, was, it really, it's so suited, you know, his work, his point of view, his attitude. It just, it was the perfect combination of, you know, serendipity, you know, the, this, right. mo- this event that happens. Um, and that he was seamlessly incorporated. See, this is what we were yeah, talking about the pandemic really, earlier. He yeah. seamlessly put that. Or he'd either put that into the strip or the strip put itself into the events. Yeah. Man, I remember sitting there, not to, to belabor this, but I remember sitting there when I was a teenager. I first got that first collection, that first big collection of, of uh, Doonesbury. Doonesbury's yeah. Greatest Hits, I think it was called. And, which I still have. And I'll tell you, I read that over and over again and laughed my ass off. Um, over and over again. And I, I just, to this day, it's like my favorite stuff for that comic. And I've got you know, oh, yeah. you know, we might have talked about it before. I, I've got like umpteen big collections. I've got the digital collection, you know, over the first 50 years and I've got the whole. But my favorite and it is brilliant. It really is remarkably consistent all the way through. But well, it's Doonesbury Chronicles, I think. Was that yeah, Doonesbury Chronicles. That was Doonesbury Chronicles. I wish they would publish again. Look what, what Fanographics did with Peanuts. I mean, I wish they would do Doonesbury in that regard. And I don't think we'll ever see that. No. You mean like uh, volume one, two, volume three? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I have, I have this big oversized collection, right? The first 40 years or something, and which is beautiful. And I've, I've read that cover to cover, but it's not everything. You know, it's not. Oh, it's like 15 pounds, man. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? It's a heavy lift, literally. But then I've got the digital collection, which is everything for the first right. 50 and uh but on the other hand 
this is, points to generational differences. You know, uh, I, I prefer the books to hold in my hand than the, the digital. Right. You know, I understand why, though. I mean, from an environmental standpoint and all the other oh, reasons. Sure. Yeah. Makes sense, I like but, the books. I, my Peanuts books are dog-eared. I'll put it yeah. that way. Yeah, yeah. mine too. Mine too. And I still, yeah, I have a collection of paperbacks as well as a collection, the entire Fantagraphics collection. Um, right. And I, I love the paperbacks for the, you know, themselves. Oh, I keep wanting to buy them. Even though I have them in hardback, I just like the design work. The set yeah. work, the actual oh. original set was amazing. Yeah, Seth is great. You know, oh my god, they, they're gorgeous looking books the way they were designed. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, really, he did a knockout job, but oh. um, yeah, no, I was referring to the old faucet paperbacks. Man. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I have a bunch of them. I had, I had almost every one of them, I know I did, so yeah, I was at like, some point or another, yeah. we all did at some point, but uh, you know, I, th- I think, um, I think one of the things we all go through, and if we if you do this for any length of time is trying to find the audience that, you know, is simpatico with your point of view, you know? Oh, yeah. And I think I think that's one of the things that's really hard. And sometimes what's also hard to accept is that sometimes that audience is going to be really small, you know? Um, yeah. You know, sometimes it's going to be huge, and but sometimes that audience is going to be really small and you may not extend beyond a certain group of people um, because the work you're doing is, you know, whether it's outside the mainstream or out of step with mainstream attitudes or, or um, current attitudes or maybe it's some other reason, you know, I mean, aside yeah. from not being good, <laughs> you know, right, um, right. but, you know, I think that's one of the things that's really hard to navigate Particularly, I think, for, for people like you and I, who grew up with this idea of mass, not just mass entertainment, but mass popularity on the level of, of you know, newspaper comics. You know? Right, right. You know, I think today it's for for a different generation of artists, it might be a different thing. Where I mean, it's not yeah. just papers now. I mean, there's, you know, I mentioned these students that will show me stuff on Instagram that I've never heard of. And some of it is so jaw droppingly well done. Oh, yeah. That yeah. I want to throw the pens away. And, you know, <laughs> seriously, Don't do I mean, that. I can't even believe some of this stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. You get yeah. very self-conscious about how good some of these. God, some of them are like 18 yeah. really young artists and stuff that have mastered the digital aspect. And but that's their thing. I mean, it, and it's it's easy to say that sometimes it'll get to you. And then mm-hmm. sometimes you just sit and marvel at it. You know, I, I what was it? Pete Townsend, when they got inducted into the Hall of Fame or something, I think he said something to the effect of uh, he's talking about all the new artists that were coming up that made them all feel very old. And he says, our job is not to, to argue with these people. Our job is to get out of the way. Yeah. You know, yeah. I agree with that. So yeah. I kind of just I'm glad that I can I can. God, this sounds so highfalutin and it's really not, but I'm glad I get to practice this crap the way I see fit mm-hmm. and glad that I probably didn't have to pin my livelihood on it, yeah. <laughs> in this, in this, you know, because it ain't, it wouldn't be paying the bills really that much. So, Well, you know, it's so, and this is one of the things I think is funny about next door neighbors is that in years past, it would have in years past, I think your strip would have been. Like in 1972, I think your strip would have been a regular strip right. in the newspaper. I think uh-huh. there's a lot at stake. I think in 
to syndicates defense or in their defense, I mean, they, it's not easy to launch something. It is expensive. Yeah. And it's very expensive to be knocking at whatever newspapers doors are out there and saying, look, we, we would like to take some of your ad space and put our comic strip in there. Will you give us money? That's essentially what the deal is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I, it's just a different time period. I mean, we're only down, we may have what, a third of the newspapers we had 30 years ago. Maybe. Oh, I know. I mean, so it's it was. yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think, um, I guess at the end of the day, maybe, and it sounds touchy feely, but it's gratitude more than anything that I feel that I'm actually even doing it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, so, I hear you, man. I hear you. Yeah. you know, I, I yeah. can understand that. Cause you, you know, you have a viable audience that comes back and reads it, reads it every day. You've got a, a platform that's, you know, in go comics is a more of a mass platform than say an individual website. Oh, for sure. sure. For sure. So, yeah. That's definitely you know, a little bit of a plus there. Yeah. It's a plus. Um, but you know, I was just I was just thinking about the difference between making a living from comics in the heyday of the newspaper syndicate and trying to do it today. And 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 you know, and, and honestly, when we really think about it, the fact that newspaper syndicates have held on, um, right? You know, in this environment where literally the newspaper, and I'm not talking about the. New York Times, which, you know, or similar kinds of newspapers like the Wall Street Journal or, or, you know, whatever other, oh, Washington Post or things like that, that are heavy news, you know, journals or whatnot. Right, right. Um, heavy opinion journals as well. They don't really, they, you know, obviously Times famously doesn't carry comic strips and a lot of them mm -hmm. don't um, of those kinds. But when there are fewer and fewer newspapers, I mean, we're talking about, you know, a business environment that is no longer i mean in no shape or form does it even it's not even a shadow of its former self it's, oh it is the that that shift is very 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 palpable yeah. and i think it's kind of impressive to see what the the big guys you know i'm talking about king and universal and all that how they're adapting to that mm -hmm. i mean well, it right. is what it is i mean i don't know who you're supposed to sell to when there's only a third of the papers left right right so it's very exactly. difficult and it keeps very contracting difficult. you know yeah. i mean it keeps acting what are you supposed to do you know? i know and uh, i mean it really is and when people can get say crabgrass online for free you know mm -hmm. um why why get the newspaper do you how know? do you monetize i guess that's you know at the end of the day not from my perspective and probably not yours but i mean at the end of the day the issue the main issue is commerce how do you, yeah. you know, how do you monetize this stuff yeah exactly if you're a business yeah and I mean, how do you make it professional Right. Monetizing is kind of the only, I don't want to say it's the only reason we all do this. We clearly, I would be doing this for free if mm -hmm. I could. It is mm -hmm. what it is. But people, there has to be money somehow generated to keep the business going. Sure. And it is way more difficult these days than it used to be. There's no question. Yeah. yeah. That's, I yeah. think that's, that's, although more people are doing it, the competition is greater in order oh, for the far. for the almighty dollar yeah and that's really really hard so that's why i can understand you know we always the, the old trope really is you know they they looked at my stuff and barely gave me an answer i i, I hit syndicates up a dozen times before i even got a legit response Man. and that it is what it is it's be what are you going to do i mean it's their at the end of the day it's their dime to push something so they want what? something that they know they can sell 
they want something specific. And, you know, I think one of the things that's clear, you know, more and more, um, I mean, kids oriented strips have been dominating the field for a long time now, you know, and so main characters that are children is really one of the things, um, I think that's motivated that field, but, you know, it's become, I mean, you hear that say universal, um, will launch, uh, one or two strips a year, but you know what? I think it's yeah, even really less don't. than that. Yeah, oh, they, I would say, I would say your your benchmark is probably every two years, maybe one. One strip know, every two years, time. yeah, something yeah. like that. It really is, and and for in some ways, having their online websites is is one way in which it helps keep that world afloat. Oh, but big time. Big time. but in terms of and keeps them visible as an entity. But but yeah. you know, talking about trying to make doing the business in the way they used to do the business, you know, selling to a newspaper. I mean, man, that is just, and I, what was it I heard recently? Um, gosh, what, what was it now that, um, there's a group of comics that have been identified by a major syndicate, you know, just one group of comics. These are going to be in all of our newspapers and that's it. We're not all the supplement thing. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm using the right word, but that was pretty recently, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It seemed like kind of recent and that narrows the field even more, you know, oh, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, really, you're going to take a chain, like normally a chain of newspapers. I'll make up a number. Let's say there's a hundred newspapers and it's a chain of a hundred yeah. newspapers. Mm-hmm. traditionally they all had their own call as to what strips they covered but if you're yep. going to lock in and you've got 100 papers and they're carrying 20 strips yep that's that's all that it's going to be that is that's it that, man. yeah that's it the, the profession that's, that's a development that i'm not all that thrilled about and i'm not even in newspapers you know no i'm not thrilled about it either but yeah. i i can understand the economics of it i can yeah. understand the simplicity of it but i will say it's like a it seems to me like a death knell, you know, for, yeah. And it doesn't allow, and I don't think newspapers not to pound them a little bit, but I don't think it allows for new voices. And I don't think that's a good thing at all. No. You know, it's, yeah. If you're, if you're just going to lock out anything new, mm-hmm. I say the same thing about editorial cartoons who have been punched left and right over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Those are distinctive voices. And yeah. if you're going to silence them like that, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's good culturally, but that's a bigger story. Yeah. But then we have, you know, alternative, you know, media. So Instagram is there. You know? <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, that's true. yeah. They become, well, everybody was talking about, you know, we talk about social media, but social media in and of itself is media. Yeah, it's true. So it's creating its own sort of shift. And sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad, you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily true that good will out or the cream rises to the top or whatever, but, um, you know, you, you can find a lot of great stuff. Uh, if, you just have to look for it. That's all. Yeah. You just have to look for it. Or, you know, sites that curate it for you uh, to yeah. some degree is a helpful place to start, but it's not a good place to end. Like, for example, Go Comics is a great place to start uh, for looking at strips, but um, don't let it end there, you know, because there's a lot. Yeah. Even King is going into that model. I mean, they have a lot of strips that are strictly on their site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they do. You know, they sure do. It's, and they're uh, good for, they get a new audience all the time, so. Yeah, I know. Well, man, um, you know, I think ultimately what it comes back to is is Block Party. 
and next door neighbors. And I hope people will actively seek it out, you know, because, oh, so so you know, because uh, for, I mean, really for a whole variety of reasons, it's just darn funny. One thing, but also, you know, it, it's something that as a, as a strip, it's like, I really found as I was reading through it, that I related to it, even though I'm not, you know, norm, <laughs> you know, yeah, um, yeah. but you know what I mean? You could, you could, you recognize the environment that he and his family are in. You recognize the cats. You recognize, you know, the pandemic and the beginning of the pandemic. And it's funny. And that's the thing yeah. about it is it never stops being funny. And that's one of the things I admire about Next Door Neighbors more than anything else. It's just that it's relentlessly funny. It's drawn funny. It's written funny. And, um, you know, it keeps me coming back for more all the time. And Thank it's, you. It, it's, they make good stocking stuffers. These yeah, they do, right? You know? <laughs> So, they should be on a spinner rack at a drugstore. They, really should, they should, and they wrap real easily too. So. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, you know, it's great, man. It's great. No, I love it. I love the cartooning. You know, for those who aren't familiar with it, um, Pat's style is like so classic out of you know the world of seven sixties and seventies cartooning. I mean, it's like Johnny Hart and those guys. Um, yeah, that's my yeah. era. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is the era. It's not intentional though. Like I said, we've no. just been talking. That I mean, it's just kind of that's how I you know I did a lot of magazine cartoon work for years and it's the uh -huh. same stuff. Sure. And you know, so I mean, it's kind of what your your vocabulary becomes. So Pat, um, you know, before we go, it might be interesting for people to to know. I mean, you've been a graphic artist for your professional life. Is that? Oh yeah. You were a graphic designer. Gra well, graphic designer. I worked at Illustrator. I worked at American Greetings. Oh god, okay. thirty for years. Art director. Yeah, writer, mm -hmm. director teach a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I was, I drew a lot of them. Yeah, you're perfectly suited to this to this medium. Uh, oh, we kind of lived in. I mean, I worked in departments most of my career that was mostly writing single fold cards, drawing them, cartooning them, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. and developing various yeah. projects and such. So, yeah, it was are a you, great place. Retired from that now. Yeah, yeah. Retire. Oh, let's see what I left about five years ago, something like right. that. And so they're now, still picking them up. Yeah. This is what you do along with playing music and other things. Yeah, right? I, I teach a little bit and all that. So I kind of stay busy. You know, I think um, it's nice to be able to kind of downshift a little bit. You know, sure. Con concentrate on something. But it is, like I said, I've been putting strips out for years trying to get attention. So when they did pick this one, mm -hmm. it was like, oh. Now, now I got to actually do work. <laughs> and the great thing about it is the legs, man. The, this comic has had legs. It's been going for eight years. It's not a fly-by-night thing. It's been, you know, um, you know, there are funny periods and periods that aren't as funny. But let me tell you, the level of consistency all the way through, the, all oh, the way through, all of the years is really remarkable. So if you have not subscribed to it on Go Comics, um, you got to do that. Uh, do not pass go do not collect whatever yeah. i don't know yeah go over there sign on yep sign in to go comics there's a lot of great stuff there if you've never checked it out and um and you know uh next door neighbors is one of the best reasons to go there so you know oh, bless you my friend thank you so much for the kind words seriously that's nice it's, well you know i god we've known each other now for i don't know how long it was at first. what's that not the whole time of the strip for sure. Yeah. It's six yeah. Years, something like that. Yeah, I know. And you've been on the show. Have you been on the show twice before? 
think so. I think we did a two. We, we did a Doonesbury thing right at the height of the pandemic, and then we did a couple of them Before, prior to that. Yeah, yeah. So, well, you're you know, and, and I know this is the thing, man. You're one of my favorite people to have on the show, and that's, that's and I haven't. I haven't been on the show for almost a year for a whole variety of reasons. I mean, just a whole variety yeah. and uh, of things that have gotten in the way. And um, I and can't I'm, believe I was on the return show. Yeah, well, man, you, you know what? The reason that I, I wanted to talk to you is because we connect. And so, oh, I tell you, yeah, I got to drive over to your neck of the woods one of these days, and we're just going to go hang out for the night because sure, I swear okay. to God, I can talk for twelve hours, my friend. <laughs> Nice to God. Oh man. Well, folks, um, I am gonna, uh, you know, at this point, just say so long to you know our good friend Pat, and uh, hopefully everybody checks out his brand new book called Block Party: A Next Door Neighbor's Collection. Uh, it's on Amazon. Don't miss it. It's a wonderfully funny book, perfect for the holidays, for anybody who loves comic strips of a classical bent. Um, and very timely too, as well as being classical in its nature. So, check it out. Right. Thanks for having me, my friend. Oh, happy to. Okay, so that was our, our first episode in almost a year. And 10 or 11 months, I guess. If uh, Who's counting? I guess the last episode was in January, and this is almost December. So bookends, is, I guess we could call them bookends of the year. It's a, a year without the podcast, more or less. Well, it's not exactly, actually. We did situate two in there, right? So um, we got it in there. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Pat. I mean, he's such a great guy and such such an easy guy to talk to, and that's why it's it's such a pleasure to have him here on the show. Whether we're talking about, you know, his work, my work, or we're talking about uh, other things in general, it's always nice to to chat with Pat because he is really such a such a great guy, and his comic strip is just a bonus. <laughs> Next door neighbors is a terrific terrific comic strip on go comics subscribe to it won't you you know get your go comics account i think it's still free and subscribe to it because it's a great great comic strip if you miss those comics from the past uh you know next door neighbors is is it's a classic style of comic strip it's very contemporary but it's also you know classic style uh, four panels and punchline with good characters and i think you'll dig it uh, if you hear that barking in the background, that's our, our puppy, our rescue puppy, Cinder, who we got uh, a couple of months ago, and she's a doll. We love her. Um, she's a handful. <laughs> she's a lot of fun, though, and, you know, it's like with all rescues, it's interesting. You know, they have some issues sometimes, and she's got a few, but we're learning to navigate them, and and uh, she's, you know, an integral part of the family now, so... Um, I'm so so happy to have her. Anyway, that's she's busy. <laughs> you can hear her. she's she doesn't lay around and do nothing. She's she's got some barking to do. Uh, so anyway, um, pick up Pat Sandy's new book, by the way, uh, on Amazon, Block Party. Okay, and and it, and if you you love that book, you're gonna want to get his first collection as well. It's just called Next Door Neighbors by Pat Sandy. Both are available on Amazon. Do it today. I think if I remember, I'll put it in a link to, to it in the notes. Uh, and, oh, well, you know, uh, as for me, I hope that I haven't got any plans right now. Uh, I haven't reached out to anybody for another episode in the near future, but I'm, I'm 
hoping to get back on board with the podcast because I've heard from a number of you that you miss it, and it's nice to, it's very gratifying to hear that you enjoy it, uh, whether it's while you're working, inking, drawing, whatever. Um, um, it's, it's nice to know, and it's great to be a part of this community of cartoonists, right, and artists. Um, it's, it's just nice to know we can share those things. And um, so we'll see you know what happens uh like i said i don't have any concrete plans but i'd like to get back to a regular schedule and uh, try to do get something out there on a regular basis so uh i'll i'll be back i think before you know it i'm looking forward to doing another one so now that i've gotten back up on the horse again you can always find my work by the way at jeffgrogan.com and let's see i'm on what am i on am i on etsy I'm on Etsy at Comic Print Works. Uh, if you look up Comics Print Works, that's the name of my little page. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff you could pick up there, comics and otherwise, uh, if you're interested in my stuff. Um, I've been doing Kickstarters the last couple of years. I had some success with those uh, and um, enjoyed doing the work, i got to tell you. It's, it's what keeps me going. Uh, anyway, I hope you'll look for that. Uh, and it, you'll find out about that kind of stuff if you go to my website, jeffgrogan.com. That's G-E-O-F-F-G-R-O-G-A-N.com. So until next time, I hope you will be well and be happy and be safe and uh, keep cartooning. And uh, I'll, I'll see you around the bend, right? Uh, until then. Um, thanks for listening. <laughs>